Hey up everyone, welcome to a Yorkshire Gamers, our Reap Big War Games podcast, and this episode 30. We've had a little bit of a break from the show, I hope you're all well out there. It's uh, probably six weeks since I last did a recording, and uh, over a month now since the last episode was aired. Uh, so I hope you're still all out there. Um, lots of people are still downloading the old episodes, which is great to see, and um We'll look forward to some new content coming up. I shall give you a, a bit more of a rundown at the end of the show. Uh, but today we're going off about 9,000 miles, would you believe, south to a place called Perth in Australia. And we're going to be talking to Carlo Pagano. And Carlo, has uh, he's a big uh, war gamer. He's uh, well known in a lot of circles. Um, but he has brought together bits and pieces of paper and reconstituted Peter Gilder's uh, old rules, Sands of Sudan, which uh, used to be a regular favourite on the week-long uh, trips to the War Games uh, Centre. And uh, it would be like a, a dropping game in between a couple of big Napoleonics or an ACW or similar. Um, but we'll talk to Carlo later on about those rules and how they work. And our first kind of trip into colonial wargaming. But before we go there, um, unfortunately, I have got some genuine bad news for uh, everyone to announce. And uh, that's the passing of a chap called Dave Millwood. And uh, if you don't know Dave, he was one half of English Computer War Games uh, with uh, Simon Norburn. And I've been in contact with Simon uh, a while back about um, trying to get Dave uh, onto the show. Um, Hard Pounding was one of the computer war games that English Computer War Games uh, developed. And it was quite seminal in my war game in history after I moved on from uh, Bruce Quarry Rules probably in my late teens, early 20s. Uh, we moved on to computer war games with Atari ST. If you uh, remember those uh, bad boys, we've still got one hanging around somewhere. And uh, we had many years playing massive games with uh, hard pounding. And there was a couple of other sets as well. I think there was a Seven Years' War set in American uh, Civil War set as well, um, which we dabbled with a bit here and there. Um, but they were they were the mainstay of our computer rules for quite some time. And uh, I met up with Dave and Simon at a number of shows, uh, specifically at Triples, uh, where they would always have a display game on each year, uh, usually near the bar, knowing Dave, bless him. And uh, sadly, he uh, has passed away. I got the news from from Simon a few weeks ago. Uh, so that's real sad news. Uh, I was hoping to, as I say, have him on the show, uh, but that's uh, not going to happen now. So thanks very much, Dave. Thanks for some fantastic uh, war games memories. And of course, uh, thank you to Simon. Uh, you were part of those English computer war games programs. I've got all professional with my uh, recording equipment and I've got myself a new microphone. It is a Marantz MPM 4000U. Um, and you may notice a bit of up and down in levels and gain and all sorts of stuff uh, over the next couple of episodes as I uh, get used to this microphone. It is a proper big boy's toy. It's a proper professional uh, job uh, as compared Paired with the headsets and stuff I've been using in the past. Uh, so uh, just bear with me while I uh, get my head round uh, what I'm doing with it. 
Well, that's enough chat for now. It's uh, time to go and uh, find all about the sands of Sudan. So, without further ado, here's an interview. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the interview section of the Yorkshire Gamer podcast. And it's been a while since we've been abroad, so today it's time to go a up and away in the Yorkshire Airlines Pigeon all the way to the other side of the world. We last visited Australia in episode 11 when we spoke to Stephen Wald, the old wargamer in Adelaide, and it's about time that we got back down under. Regular listeners will have heard his name mentioned on the podcast before, and his blog, With Pyjamas Through the Deserts, has been a long-time go-to for those who like a little bit of camel on their table. (laughs) Today's guest is the wargaming equivalent of Indiana Jones, trawling through the wargames world like a 28mm Robert Langdon, looking for clues and old strips of antique paper, he's managed to rebuild and publish the classic set of colonial rules originally used by Peter Gilder at the Wargames Holiday Centre. The title of the rules, Sands of Sudan, even sounds like a Hollywood blockbuster. You've got two guys, one from Australia and one in Yorkshire, so we apologise now if we end up talking about cricket. Today, however, he is the latest guest on the Yorkshire Gamer podcast. So let's give a re- big welcome to Carlo Pagano. How are you doing, Carlo? Ken, very, very well, and thank you for such a, a colourful introduction. I'll try and uh, I'll try and live up live up to the hype. <laughs> well, that, that's brilliant, mate. And uh, we had a little chat before we started, and uh, you've not done a podcast before, have you? This is your first one. Absolutely, yeah. First podcast, like a few of your guests, um, first time round. Brilliant. We 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 like uh, we like having sort of bringing new voices to the airwaves for for the hobby. So it's great to have you on board. Um, but before you settle in, um, we always like to put our guests under a little bit of pressure um, before we uh, we start relaxing, and that's the the four minute challenge and. Uh, for regular regular listeners will know that it's uh, it's our method of getting the the boring bit the history bit out of the way quickly uh, and then we can get on some cracking jokes about stuff. Uh, so have you had a bit of, pra- of a practice, Carlo? I haven't. Uh, no, um, I'm just relying on the you know remembering the professionalism of people like Mark Freeth and uh, and how they managed to get through. So I'll try and uh, I'll try and yeah. channel channel the inner vibe. Channel, channel you're in a free thing. That's that's, that's <laughs> what we like to hear on this channel. Okay, mate, I'll set the timer going. And uh, after three minutes 30, you'll hear a little bit of music, which is uh, a program called Countdown here in the UK. Um, and if you go on too long, then uh, Detective Regan from the Sweeney will tell you to shut it. So are you ready to go, mate? I'm ready. Off you go. Well, uh, I, I guess like so many guests that you've had the common thread for a lot of us has been um ethics and mm. uh this is where you can cue the violins mate i was i was a sickly <laughs> child and i spent yeah. a little bit of time in hospital and my mum one particular day brought me um you know besides the crossword puzzles and the anagrams and things like that she brought me what was to prove to be one of the most uh, fortuitous uh, purchases ever which was a the 1974 airfix catalogue which I still have oh. on my bookshelves. 
yeah. and it um, it opened a, bra- a whole new world, a whole new world in terms of uh, being able to look through. And you know, I, I close my eyes now, and I can still see the beautiful artwork, um, the descriptions, mm. and um, and it really did. It was amazing, like any boy toy soldier. So, um, discovering that, of course, this uh, this English company also sold figures here in Australia. It was a almost like a weekly visit off to the news agency in those days <laughs> yeah. um, to to grab a, a box. I think my first box was a box of Roman uh, the Roman army or Roman soldiers, and I grabbed it yeah. because it had the most pieces. Little did I know, of course, that half of them were shields. <laughs> but there you go. You grab it because you think you're going to get more bang for your buck. Um, and that was it. And uh, we started with that. Started collecting Napoleonics, which has always been my first love, Napoleonics, and still probably remains to be. Um, mm. Fast forward to year eight, high school, sitting next to a new, all the new boys in science. And a particular chap I've sat next to has some, some fantastic drawings of orcs and Nazgul and warriors and uh, uh, I, I say look I, I know all that and uh, he, he says well you know I, I know what you've drawn as well nowhere near as good mm. as he is and it was my lifelong friend Paul Young and he ended up being my first wargaming mate um, mm. but we but Ken we were clueless we were absolutely clueless we <laughs> we we raided the library shelves 793.9 I think on the Dewey Decibel system oh uh, the, well, we've not had that before <laughs> At the public library, and uh, we looked at all these books. But you know, they, Bruce Quarry was the first first one we went to. The Orange Airfix Guide, Napoleonic Wargaming. Uh, he suggested that you uh, you mount your troops troops on beer coasters. This shows you how clueless we were. We didn't realise that you had to glue them, and um, so which made assaults uphill quite <laughs> quite challenging. <laughs> it was very challenging. So eventually, um, a newspaper came along. One day, the Sunday Supplement had a had a um, a feature on a wargaming club in South Perth called the Napoleonic Wargaming Society. Uh, we managed to, I managed to nag my parents, drop me off at Paul's place, and then Paul's mum drove us down there to South Perth, and it was like opening the door to Aladdin's cave. It was fantastic. All these guys playing, pushing around toy soldiers, miniature figurines, up on the stage. Uh, there was the the club troops back in those days. The, the club had troops, and um, we fell in love with wargaming ever since. All these a lot of expat Brits, a lot of locals who were really good. They mentored us through, and I guess it's been that's what I've been doing ever since. It's uh, it's been a, a lifelong journey, and Paul and I still catch up for a war game. And I'm very fortunate to have fallen into this hobby. Very fortunate. And I guess everything that's happened since and everything that will go forward is a result of that, Ken. And I, I think we're getting pretty close to four minutes now. Yeah, we can hear the music coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Just as well. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much for that, mate. That's a great introduction. And uh, very similar to my own. Um and I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast are of a of a similar generation. All people are welcome. I'm not holding anyone, unless you're from Lancashire, of course. And then, <laughs> of course. You know, there's, there's a, oh, there's a bit of trouble then. <laughs> so um, that club that you you mentioned there is that the one that you still go to? Or absolutely. So yeah, absolutely, Ken. So I I joined that club, junior member, no voting rights. Back in 1981, so um, we were 14 at the time, and uh, I'm a little bit past 14 now, uh, yeah. getting towards my 56th year. 
And uh, yes, I've, I'm still a still a member at that wargaming club. We game every Wednesday night, and uh, Paul Paul's um, down at another fine wargaming club south of the river. Uh, we're fairly fortunate mm. in Perth. We have a, a, fair, a fair few good wargaming clubs, but a lot of those guys that still, um, I guess, really showed me the ropes in those early days, and were incredibly generous. And I think that's that's an overriding theme through my wargaming experience is that wargamers the world over have an amazing generosity in terms yeah. of uh, knowledge, uh, figures, um, their tactics, tips. We're very fortunate. Just give us a rundown of the club then. How big is it? Where do you meet? You know, sure. What sort of stuff have you got going on? So we meet every Wednesday night at the North Perth Bowling Club, which is uh, has its... Uh, has a full bar, which is fantastic. Straight away, oh, it's excellent. it's excellent. so far ahead. Um, uh, it's it's we have about forty eight members, of which yeah. on any particular night we'll have twenty four, twenty five, and then we have a gaming day every uh, one every Saturday. Uh, sorry, I beg oh, your pardon. Brilliant. A Saturday every month at the bowling club. We tend to obviously we're a little bit of a we've been there quite some time. We're a bit of a novelty to the bowlers who visit the club and the. And the great thing about it, it doesn't matter if you're if you're 14 or if you're 90, men yeah. like toy soldiers. And they they'll do. come up and they'll ask questions and they'll be really fascinated with what's going on. And um, I think their wives come up and maybe try and suggest that they should take up the hobby so they spend a little bit less time at home. But that would be cruel. <laughs> it would. It would. So just, just for everyone, um, just to clarify, is that... Uh... Like lawn green bowling, it's not like Merv Hughes fast no, bowling. That's right. It's it's lawn green bowling. Even though Merv was lawn green bowling, it would uh, it would have a, a very aggressive, you know, gladiatorial element to it. But no, it's lawn it's lawn bowling. Is it flat green or is it crown green? We, we've diverged already here. But it, are you aware of? Do you have crown green bowling in Australia or is it all flat? Can it? Well, I've only ever seen flat. Okay, but Ooh. having okay Ooh. in terms of just flat where they toss the jack out and and yeah. then off they go, you know, like the Commonwealth Games and things like that. Yeah, um, I've never seen crown bowling. What is that something that's particularly north of England type? Uh, it is. A, it is a north of England thing. Um, and basically, instead of having a flat green, the centre of the green is raised up. So you've got different angles and you have to go up a rise and then down the other side. Now, so it's a kind of a different now, skill. Now now I'm going to have to Google this after I get off this because I've never ah, seen anything like that. It's a very flat not. country, very flat country, Australia, Ken. Very flat. <laughs> <laughs> have to take advantage of the, of the geography that God's given us. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you can find a bit. It's only it's only two or three inches, I think, in the middle. You just need a bit of dirt that, under the that, middle. That's all. That's that's a mountain range for us. <laughs> <laughs> at least in at least in Western Australia, on the east coast, a little bit different. Yeah. <laughs> um, you mentioned another club in 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 the area. Then, what sort of size city is is Perth? So Perth's population is probably two million. Um, so oh, it's right. a, it's so big. it's a, so it's a big it's a big city. It's a it's one of the most um, I guess spread out cities in the world in terms of uh, uh, the, the the urban spread. Um, mm. I should have some some oh, quip of what it actually is, but it's enormous. It's one of the most um, um, spread cities in the world. Um, yeah. Obviously, Perth being uh, has probably our our summers are 
uh, a bit a bit hotter version of what you guys have just been experiencing in the UK. Yeah. So it can yeah. be very, very warm in Western Australia during the summer. And I think in the last few years, it, it's virtually six-month summers. You know, come March mm. and February and March, et cetera, you know, weeks of 40 degrees plus are not uncommon. But um, mm. but we're all kitted out for it. We're all geared up for the Faircon and brandas and fans. Mm. I mean, I felt we felt incredibly sorry for everyone in Europe in the past month, uh, just with watching people just struggling with in, in houses that aren't designed for that kind of heat. So, but um, yeah. yeah, it's it's a big city, a big population. There's a lot of wargaming clubs, like a lot of um, areas. I'm sure in in uh, your particular towns, members from clubs go off and form form new clubs, and that's exactly what's happened yeah. with quite a few of them. Um, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's it's spreading the hobby everywhere it can. And, and yeah, the PMGG is a very good club. Um, 60-40, uh, they game in probably a, a bit more fantasy than we do. Uh, mm-hmm. We're mainly an historical club, but but we're open to all kinds of gaming. I had a little bit of a look on the map um, before we started, uh, where you are uh, and where Stephen Wald is, um, my previous Australian guest in, in Adelaide. And it's about 1,700 miles. It, Absolutely. I didn't realise... Oh, that that that's a, the same distance as it is from my house to the North Pole, uh, <laughs> which is which is just astounding. Um, but so King, that is, presents it, that presents challenges. That presents challenges. Yeah. Uh, it really does yeah. in terms of in terms of war game shows and and uh, the distance. And so the club environment becomes incredibly important for mm. not only not only new new members but existing members because. Uh, where, and this is the thing that we always, uh, well, I'm most jealous about, um, I'd, I'd love to spend a few years just living in the UK to go to every single wargaming show I possibly could in a car that I could get yeah. to and then get home that same same night or, or the very next day. I mean, I've been fortunate to attend Sheffield Triples a couple of times, mm. and that was a great show. I enjoyed that at the university. That was fa- met yeah. a lot of fantastic guys. Um, but for us... It's it's not only a, a major undertaking. If we want to go to the national convention in Canberra, and really that is the biggest one, um, yeah, you know, you're looking at fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars, or what's that, eight or nine hundred pounds in airfares just to get there, let alone accommodation, and then of course all, all everything that we have to spend because you can't go there and not spend. Exactly, exactly. So does that does that geography tend to regionalize the war gaming? Um, you know, do you have a do you have a, a war game show in Perth, for example? Because, um, like you say, if you want to go anywhere else in the country, it's a it's a major financial implication. Unfortunately, it does. Um, what it does mm. do is that, particularly for West Australians. Now, if you're in Sydney or Melbourne or even Brisbane, um, Canberra, mm. um, it is it is easier. I mean, a, a Melbourne uh, drive to Canberra is seven hours, um, so that that's pretty achievable. Sydney to Canberra, three hours. Um, I mean the flights up up and down the, the coast there. It's uh, it's the cream run for the airfares uh, for the airline. Mm-hmm. So you can do a hundred dollars or this that and the other. But um, so you find that there is a, a fair bit of interaction between um, the East Coast wargamers. There are we don't have a major wargaming show in in Western Australia. We've tried. There's been a number of different attempts to try and get things going, but to try and get um, uh, retailers and vendors etc. to come over that way. Certainly, when we tried to do it, there were certainly less war gamers about it at the time. It, it's a major undertaking, and uh, 
Uh, I remember Nick Robson, when he first came over to Australia, he, he, he flew over to uh, Perth in 91, I think. Uh, yeah. Nick Robson from Eureka Miniatures. And, of course, mm. there the just wasn't the, um, the economy of scale in terms of the numbers through the door to make it worth his while. But um, but he does very well on the East Coast uh, East Coast shows, and he's a, he's a doyen. He's a, a major mm. fillet for the entire industry. So that makes it hard. But people who do mm. travel over, there are national competitions. I tend to avoid competitions myself. Yeah. But there are national <laughs> comps and, and things like that that go on. And we send uh, – uh, not we send – we have a number of members that go over, and, and in fact, uh, one of our members is a national champion in um, an ancient rule system called um, is it Meg. Yes, Meg. Yes. We've had the, the the author Simon Hall. He's uh, he's been on the show a couple of times. So yes, yeah, I he actually visited our club when he was in Perth for business. So uh, yeah, he's um, nice chap. But so so we've got the national champion, or at least uh, he's been the national champion. He might have been the runner up next time, but he's a very very astute ancient wargamer. Mm. Um, so they do fly over, but it's a challenge. It's a tyranny of distance. Yeah. So when you go to the shows, then are you going as a visitor or are you putting on display games? Have you ever been involved in that scene? Um, in the early stages of CanCon, mainly going over in the early days to compete uh, and yeah. then to do that for a, for a brief t- period of time. And then um, I haven't been back to Canberra for, for quite a few years. I'm, uh, every time I try and get something organised, uh, um, something else happens family-wise or expense-wise, which uh, <laughs> uh, warrants an extra warrants more than uh, the $2,000 to get over to Canberra and actually stay in a hotel. So most of your gaming then will happen at the club. Do you, do you have a setup at home as well, or is it, is it most do. of the club stuff? No, I do. I do. I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate. Um, I have a, a war games room, which I'm actually in at the moment, uh, mm. which allows me to um, leave games set up for quite some time. Uh, it's a it's a permanent twelve by six, so a twelve foot by six foot table which breaks down to a, a six by four and a eight by six. So if I wanted to have a, a smaller game, and they're on they're all on uh, caster wheels, so I can move them about if I have to, um, which I don't tend to, but uh, the, the, the options there at least, um, and the ability. Eventually, the plan for that was to be able to spread the tables and then be able to put a sleeve in the middle and go to fifteen by six. Um, oh, if I possibly brilliant. could, but um, yeah. but but yeah, I, I do that, and uh, I'm fortunate. I'm fortunate. I've got my books here. I'm at my painting desk now. Uh, I've got um, cabinets there of figures, which I'll show you afterwards. And uh, mm. it's um, yeah, it's a good a good place to come up and uh, and uh, just lose yourself in the hobby. Excellent. And uh, are they, did you do the tables yourself, or did you, uh, as we say over here, did you get a man in? No, I got a man in, and I'm very fortunate to get a man in. I got my good friend Steve Yardley from Hull. Yeah, from <laughs> He's Hull. A, from Hull. He's a war gamer at the club, uh, a big war gamer at the club, and he's a, a fantastic cabinet maker, and uh, he's an artisan, is what I call him. And so he he built everything. He built the tables, the cabinets. He built our kitchen downstairs. He's a superstar. And uh, and he's oh. a canny Yorkshireman. He's a good man. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Absolutely brilliant. Well, my my table here it's, um, just happens. It's the same size, twelve by six, but it's home built. Um, and um, if you if you look underneath, it looks like um, the wing of a World War One plane. There's all bracing and struts and everything everywhere it's a, it's a bit of a heath robinson invention to be fair uh, but it, it stayed it stayed up for this long it's not fallen over yet 
Well, uh, I mean, that, that, that's the challenge, isn't it? <laughs> to make sure it stays upright, especially under the weight of not only figures, but war gamers. And as we know, we, we do tend to get a little bit heavier as we get a little bit older. But, uh... Exactly. Yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely a no leaning on the table rule here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we have to, every now and again, you'll forget and you, know, you have to nudge somebody and say, stop leaning on the table. <laughs> stop leaning on the table. Uh, we're going to talk in, in um, some detail later on the show about uh, colonial wargaming and the Sudan. Um, but you've you've mentioned uh, Napoleonics, and um, you've got a separate blog, haven't you? The whiff of was it whiff of grape shot, whiff of grape shot, whiff pajamas through a whiff of grape shot. So uh, just tell me about your love for Napoleonics, then. Uh, what? What's, where did that come from? How, how are you into that at the moment? Well, I think uh, if you once again, if you want to go back, it, it, I think it gets back to that that FX catalogue. It was, yeah. I mean, you you remember the artwork, Ken, and uh, oh, gosh, you know, yeah. uh, you know, you've got a British red coat there preparing to receive a, a French cuirassier charge, and you've got Imperial Guardsmen going through a, a you know, through a, a, a built up area. It's just, you know, Highlanders there with you know, smoke and everything swirling and the banners going the, the color the color is so yeah. alluring and so for me once i started doing my research and uh, you know grabbing these books and of course the bruce quarry wargaming charles grant's napoleonic wargaming um the, you just saw these saw these pictures but the the thing that the real clincher was seeing these magnificent arrays of figures from peter gilder at the War Games mm-hmm. Holiday Centre in War Games Illustrated and Miniature War Games, well, Miniature War Games initially, actually mm-hmm. even going back further, um, Battle for War Gamers. I still yeah, remember yeah. I still remember mum bringing me some Battle for War Gamer books, magazines from, mm-hmm. uh, um, from the local shop, and they were just superb. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Hyboria campaigns and, uh, you know, uh, tabletop teasers, and it was just, what more would a young man want than to be able to read about yeah, deeds, yeah, look and learn, look and learn magazine. Look and learn, that was brilliant. That and, was and, brilliant. And, and the artwork was superb. And so mm. Napoleonics captured me with the colour, and it still does. It really mm. still does. And uh, uh, it's, I think it, whenever you see an array of war games put on, it's the Napoleonics that tend to draw you initially. And then, of course, yeah. there's so many other rules. I mean, I mean, your Italian wars is incredibly colourful. And I want to talk yeah. to you about that a little bit later on, but also Seven Years' <laughs> War, Ancients, etc. But but there's nothing like Napoleonics. Yeah. So do you have big collections of Napoleonics? What scale? I do. I do. Um, like many foolish people, I have them in several scales. Uh, <laughs> the vast the vast majority is in 28 millimeter. Uh, yeah. Vast majority is metal, with a few um, plastics uh, of mm. the the new array of plastics, which are absolutely superb. But the vast majority are, uh, are metal. Um, hmm. a, a wide array of um, collections. I'm a massive fan of elite miniatures. Um, oh, who isn't? You know, yeah. and I think Peter Morby does a superb job. And I have a, and I'm anal enough to um, not want to fight 1805 games with 1815 troops. So hmm. I have a, a whole series of uh, troops specifically for 1805, 1807. Russians, Austrians, and French, Bicorns, um, different shakos for the Russians, um, the Austrians in, in helmets, 
primarily that it's it's really quite sad. <laughs> well, well uh, uh, Pete Morby's been a guest on the show. He was in one uh, episode eight or nine. He was on one of the early ones. Um, and the thing I like about the connoisseur figures is that although when compared to a, a modern day figure, they don't have as much detail, what they do have is a massive amount of character. Um, and when they're built up in a big unit, they just almost come to life with the, oh. with the way that they look. Never a true word spoken, Ken. I mean, I, I've got quite a few connoisseur as well. And mm. you put, you know, you look at it, you put a 36-man battalion out there and it's, it's the animation is incredible. And I think his 1805, 1807 range, particularly the French, is one of the best ranges that's ever been sculpted. So you have so mm. many variations. For anybody who has an interest in that particular period whatsoever, do yourself the proverbial favour Go, go off and find someone who, um, you know, have a look at his website, but find someone who has a collection of those figures because you can put a battalion together with almost 14 or 15 variants. And that's, yeah. that's, that's incredible. Um, mm. I, think, I, think, uh, I think he does a tremendous job, Peter. Yeah, and if you're listening, Peter, where's your Franco-Prussian figures? You had them on side <laughs> working on them when I come to see you nearly two years ago, mate. <laughs> if, 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 if you're listening, Peter, where's my um, cavalry trumpeters? Let's have some trumpeters, please. Not everyone has the, not everybody has the um, sculpting uh, skills of a Doug Mason or a Dave Doherty. Okay, there are some blokes yeah. like me that struggle with glue <laughs> and paper. So, yeah. so some trumpeters would be nice, please, and standard bearers. Uh, Excellent. Well, well, I do like to use this podcast to get my my own personal requests for figures into manufacturers. So, uh, so well done for jumping on that, Carlo. And hopefully, Pete will get his finger out and get some stuff done. That's right. I think he's got trumpeters. Actually, standard bearers is what I need. Standard bearers, <laughs> mounted on, standard bearers. There we go. Uh, other than the Napoleonics, anything else that you go? Yes, absolutely. Um... Um, certainly Ancients. Um, big fan, another one of your guests, Simon Miller. Uh, yeah. Massive fan of his To the Strongest set of yeah. rules. It's um, mm. outstanding. It's it's innovative. Um, it reminds me, when I was first wargaming, I had no idea what I was doing. I moved figures on a grid. Little did I know that there were that there were millions of pounds to be made <laughs> if, you were a, if you were a sharp <laughs> entrepreneur based in England putting together a grid-based ancient wargaming system. So well done, Simon. Uh, we love yeah. we love Simon's uh, rules at the club. We have eight active members who constantly play to the strongest. Um, the, the whole system is sensational. It's um, it's fudge-proof. So, yeah. you know, there's no arguments of that. No tape measure, no dice. It's sensational. Yeah. And it's and it's it's really well supported. He's done a fantastic job with that. So certainly Ancients. I do like some Seven Years' War. I do dabble in a bit of World War II with Chain of Command, but I haven't played that for quite some time. But yeah. at the moment, I'm trying to really focus on Napoleonics. And of course, I do love my um, my Sudan, my colonial game. Yeah, that's, a, that's, 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 a, that's a big love as well. But at the moment, the Napoleonics just seems to be a bit more of a focus. Fantastic. You mentioned um, earlier on, coming across uh, uh, to triples a couple of times. So, so you, you've been to the UK. Um, how, where did you come over? What did you – was that business or pleasure or it, a mix of both? Um, the first time I came to the UK was 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 pleasure. I was um, with my uh, fiancé at the time, well, girlfriend at the time, mm. now my wife. Um, yeah. 
In fact, it was one of those interesting stories, Ken, if you can indulge me. When I first met her, about, I think, three dates in, um, <laughs> I pull over and I say, Fiona, I've just got to, got to tell you something. And um, this is, you know, it's a pretty big deal to me and really it's important for us yeah. to go forward. You need to know this. And so she's there and she's yeah. expecting me to say, I've been married before or I've got children, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And I pull out my wargaming box out the back and say, I'm a wargamer. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, if she doesn't like this, there's no point going on a fourth date. It's, this is going nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> she was relieved that I wasn't obviously um, just out of prison. Serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly <Yeah>. right. <laughs> so after that, it was fine. So the first time to the UK was pleasure. And then uh, the other times were business uh, from a, mm. uh, a job that I was doing. Uh, remember newspapers, Ken? I was uh, one of our uh, newspaper experts uh, for our company, so International Newspaper mm. Division. So... Uh, it took me all over the world, and the UK was always my favourite. Uh, so I had the chance mm. to visit Triples. I certainly had the chance to visit um, the War Games Holiday Centre. Um, oh, brilliant! When Jerry and Mike were still running it, and met met some fantastic guys there. Um, I was lucky to meet Herbert and John Brambley, Chris uh, Chris Cornwall, yeah. uh, Duncan. I think Duncan Forrest was there too, who's a a mm. big uh, in the Grand Manor gamer and uh, has a massive massive collection. Um, so it was a good chance to meet them. But it was a good chance, more importantly, um, to go down to Nottingham, actually, you know, have a cup of t- have a couple of drinks with the Perrys at their pub there. That what is it, the old Jerusalem? Um, mm. uh, in fact, I, I got all my Brunswickers, my Perry Brunswickers, directly off Alan and and Michael. There, it was a it was a great experience. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in other pubs throughout the country, drugs are being pushed under the table, but in, in Nottingham. It's metal. It's 28 mil Brunswickers. It, it's just as heavy, Ken, but it's <laughs> but, but it but it, it 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 actually keeps people off the streets. It's fantastic. It does. It, it does. Okay. It does. And, I, and I'll tell you what I did do. I, I learned. I learned that uh, if you're going to go through customs, pick the customs lane that you go through. Don't go anywhere where the ladies are. They just won't understand. Go where the blokes are. <laughs> Okay, the guys will ask you to open it up. What's that? They'll be fascinated. They'll wave you on. On you go, son. Yeah. I love yeah. that. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so we we always draw the the first part of the podcast to a close with a thing called the Venn diagram of war gamers, and um, it's just uh, a little sort of snapshot of where you sit in a in a very wide and varied hobby as my uh, my friend uh, Sean Clark from God's Own Scale always says uh, wargaming is a broad church um so i split it down into wargamer painter collector and historian um so where do you see yourself in in that little setup it's a brilliant question i would imagine i would be dead set in the center but if i had yeah. a leaning more towards wargaming but mm. I've had the opportunity to expand on the other three, um, to have a nice collection in order to war game, to research in order to war game, to paint and, and commission yeah. to war game. And so uh, I'll be dead smack in the middle, but but I everything I do, I do for war gaming. Yeah. And do you, do you paint stuff yourself then? Are you, are you... I still do. Absolutely, I do. Yeah. And uh, uh, I was fortunate in... Uh, a, a, quite a few years ago that I had uh, the ability to be able to get commissioned some figures. And I still do commission um, particular particular regiments at the moment. I've got uh, a very good painter, once again, a member of our club who I, I'd rate as one of the finest painters 
that I've ever come across. Um, he's painting up some Kelpe Prussians for me because it's one uh, glaring gap. Yeah, they are. And mm. once again, I, yeah. you know, I was very fortunate to meet Peter Fitzgerald, a very generous man, Peter Fitzgerald, mm. and uh, um, and a very very talented, talented, very clever man. Um, mm. And so he's that's that's there's a gap, gap in my collection of 18, 13, 18, 15 Prussians, mm. um, and uh, that's what I need. I have a stack of eighteen oh six Prussians from the elite range, but they're not <laughs> going to quite cut it on the fields of Waterloo. Yeah. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Um, so, do you are you do you enjoy the history side of it? Do you like to get everything historically correct? Uh, a few very games? much so. Yeah, very much yeah. so. Very much so. So, um, a prime example is to the strongest. I think one of the reasons that we love to the strongest so much, we don't play competitions, we don't play unhistorical yeah. games. So yeah. you know you haven't got um, you know Polybian Romans fighting against many uh, hundred years war English. You know, it's Bolivian yeah, Romans that, versus Carthaginians, and <laughs> that's that's that that's always been a concept of wargaming. And I'm I'm not knocking it. I just don't understand it. Where you have armies that are in some cases a couple of thousand years apart in terms of actual being on the planet fighting against each other, and I just don't understand how it works. Yeah. I don't understand how it works. Because <laughs> what chance does that poor old Numidian skirmisher have? Against yeah. against that, um, you know, uh, armor armor wielding uh, madman from you know from Basingstoke. <laughs> There's another one from Basingstoke with a two handed yeah. sword. You know, he hasn't got a, yeah. a hell of a lot of a chance. But but having said that, I'm like you. You know, all power to them. If that's the game that mm. people want to play, yeah. you know what? Fantastic. I'll come up. I'll have a look. I'll enjoy your figures. Um, I'll see you laugh, and I'll really go walk away from your table saying those boys are having a lot of fun. It's just yeah. not for me. Uh, so, are you on social media? I've seen you on Facebook. But do you do anything else like Twitter or Instagram or all the YouTube or all the other ones? Uh, yes. Yeah. Not yet. Even though I admire all those people who who put such fantastic content up, and Fraser is a prime example. The old VK. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I you know I love I love seeing what Fraser puts up, and uh, there's another chap JP who puts up um, some wonderful games of General to Army with his lovely collection. He has his son there as well, and and I like that a lot. Um, I enjoy. I tell you what, if I had the ability to put together something like Little Wars TV, do the Americans over there? I mean, they've taken they've taken that level of YouTube channel to a, to a Absolute new level. It's it's what they do is sensational. At the moment they're in a, a Pyrrhic campaign, which I'm mm. waiting for it to drop. You know, it's almost like yeah, um, yeah. Game of Thrones in the early days. When's this dropping? <laughs> you know, episode four. Anytime you can get people like me interested in in something like that, you've done. You, you're doing a great job. They do a great job. And then of course, you know, uh, Facebook. I love the fact on Facebook that people ask questions, that they share mm. their pictures of their collections. And you know what? Mm. The best part of it, once again, is the wargaming community. Uh, they just tend to. There's not a lot of knockers anymore, Ken. There's not a lot of people yeah. who who you know have. Oh, I wish you put that up. That's this. You know what? There's just encouragement, advice, enthusiasm, patience. It's that part of what social media has done. Forget all the other rubbish that goes on. That part, if you're in a hobby and you have like-minded people. Who have all? We've all got something in common, Ken. We love mm. playing war games with with miniature figurines. Okay, so straight away we've got so much in common. 
So we want to be able to encourage people and, and, and the next generation. And and you do, you see these new younger people playing. They're not just playing Warhammer. They're not just playing Blood Bowl, Blood Bowl or anything else. They're, they're pushing figures around. They're away from a screen. They're not playing PS5 and all these other games. They're actually socialising and um, and, they're, and they're painting and they're, they're actually producing some really outstanding work, which I'll tell you what, I, the best ideas, like always, I steal. <laughs> you know, of course, of course. Well, I'll definitely give a good shout out to Little Wars TV um, and the fact that they awarded me with the best podcast um, last year as it does not influence that recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Of course not. No, no. no your integrity the, is the, never, <laughs> never in question. Yeah. I, uh, I get disappointed about a free stuff actually doing this. I'm very, I, I thought I'd be <laughs> pouring into the letterbox, but sadly it isn't. You know, the, but, the lovely lads on Little, Little Wars TV. Unfortunately, we, we had a game arranged um, between uh, myself. Um, you know, I do like a side podcast called Brews in the Binyard with Alex Sutheran from Storm of Steel and Sean Clark from God's Own Scale. And we had a kind of us versus them war game match set up uh, for when they were over but unfortunately Sean was ill so we had to cancel but that that would have been amazing oh, it would have been good fun uh, it would be like the uh, it would have been the the Ryder Cup of war gaming oh yeah well I, I had I had some Yorkshire tea in a in a metal cage with a padlock on as like to give to them so that they couldn't throw it in the in the sea. Oh, uh, very good, <laughs> very good. So they, there was loads of stuff that we would have done, uh, but unfortunately it didn't come off. So that, that's a real shame. A real shame. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's been a great introduction. And uh, what we're going to do is going to take a very short break, and then we'll come back with our usual second part of the show where we talk about big games. Well, traditionally, the second part of the show is always about big games, and um, it's always interesting to chat to my uh, guests and and, uh, listen to their experience of big games. It could be the same as mine. It could be completely different, Um, just to get some points of view from uh, different ages and uh, different places around the world. So the first question I ask everyone, Carlo, is what does a big game mean to you? Oh, a big game means everything to me. It's uh, it's something something to plan for. You look forward to. You muster up new troops. You mm. get things organised. I'm one of those guys. I have a spreadsheet. If there's a big game, oh, that, but I'm a, a big, spreadsheet. <laughs> so if a big game with tasks to do, and uh, a classic example, I think, was our 2015. I guess everywhere around the world, we're doing uh, bicentennial anniversaries for the Battle of Waterloo, and. Mm. As being the Napoleonic Wargaming Society in Western Australia, and I think I was president at the time, I felt an obligation that we had to, you know, we had to put on a good show. Yeah. And so I had this page, pages of spreadsheets, you know, went on the local radio station, you know, the national, the, you know, statewide on the ABC, which is, I guess, the BBC equivalent of, um, you know, promoting promoting war games on breakfast radio. And it was wonderful. It was wonderfully successful. But without my spreadsheet, I would have been lost. So... A big war game to me is just what it's all about. You know, if you can command a corps and then you've got you're, you're facing five corps and you, there's the the reserve corps commander there and ah, oh, what more do you want? <laughs> it's fantastic. Oh, exactly, exactly. You, you're preaching to the converted here, most definitely. And, and you mentioned earlier on that you managed to get 
to the War Games Holiday Centre. So how long ago would that have been? Oh, gosh. Long enough that they're not digital photos, put it that way. I had to take the photos off and, oh, and get them developed. Yeah. Those panorama photos. I've got masses of these panorama photos. It was the Battle of Austerlitz. And mm. uh, I turned up. I, I think I... Where was I? I'd been in Leeds. And then I was off to um, Preston North End, if I get that wrong. Yeah. And then off to... Um, off to Scarborough. That was a that was a journey in itself, and it was wonderful. I mean, it was like it was like literally going to Nirvana. It was that you know that you've been there, Ken. So you you yeah, walk in yeah. and, and and those shelves of wargaming figures and and the tables are laid out and um, you know people are getting their plans ready and uh, on the Friday night and uh, you're mm. preparing for war. Yeah, it was just fantastic. I was on the Allied side. Yeah, I, I commanded. Um, I'm trying to think. I can't remember. I'm sure I've made notes somewhere on a spreadsheet, probably of the <laughs> command that of the command that I had. But it was a fantastic experience, and it was um, my first time playing in the Grand Manor, and yeah. it was everything I wanted. I loved in the Grand Manor, and uh, mm. uh, having Jerry and Mike there, and you know, wonderful, wonderful people to host such a such a wonderful um, uh, destination and it was just it was the it was the weekend of a lifetime I had such a wonderful time and it was only uh, unfortunately once again it's the distance uh, if I had a choice I, I would have been there like Dave Doherty every month <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it, it, you do, how would you organize that be, before you came over As it I did was it part of your holiday plan no, it was did. I, I mean, back in those days, uh, I, I think things were a little bit different from a corporate perspective. And my managing director and I had a wonderful relationship. And he said, look, just make sure you take two or three days of your two and a half weeks away for yourself. We'll, we'll take yeah. care of the hotel or whatever it was. And um, and that's what happened. And I ended up going up to up to Scarborough. And I, I, I took care of the wargaming part of it. And it was it was fantastic. It was just, it was brilliant. And uh, Chris Cornwall was, was good enough to, to uh, drive me uh, back, back to uh, back to my hotel in London at the time, oh, right, and yeah. after after it, and had a chance to talk to him. Um, Chris would tell you that I forgot my jacket, and an hour into the trip, he had to go back and get it. But uh, but we don't talk about that. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, once again, you just met some people that uh, that are really they're they're icons in the industry. They were they were fa- in the hobby, I should say, not the industry. And uh, mm. and it was a great experience. But but fighting oscillates and you know, you know the prats and, and those beautiful figures and figures that you just recognize from the pages of war games illustrated it was superb you know the command stands that had featured on covers are there you know yeah. you can touch them and and mike yeah. and jerry were very generous from that perspective as well oh fantastic it, it's uh it's definitely an experience i remember uh, and i've mentioned this before but i i remember i used to do some painting for them i remember the first time i turned up with a tray with four 36 man battalions of french on um thinking wow that is a load and then sorted the business side out with jerry and he just slid them onto a tray and they just disappeared into this <laughs> mass of figures. And it's like, oh my God, I can't believe how much no. stuff they've got. Just incredible. And 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 you see what Mark's done now also down yeah. in, in in uh, well he was in Basingstoke. He's in the he's in the hotel. Is the hotel still in Basingstoke that he's It is, yeah. I, yeah. I was lucky enough to go down last year. So yeah, it's in a hotel in Basingstoke. It just looks yeah. superb. I mean there's another chap who does social media really, really well. Anytime Mark Freef drops a, a video. Um, I'm 
probably viewer number three, you know, which means yeah. I really need to pay more attention at work. But that's, a, that's, that's another problem. Yeah, don't tell him, don't tell him, but he's a lovely lad, Mark. He really is. <laughs> he, he's, he's been very good to me. He's a lovely chap. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's been on the show a couple of times, and uh, uh, it was great fun meeting up with him last year when I went down for the uh, Don Featherstone weekend. Uh, so a big shout out for Mark and, and War Games Holiday Centre, uh, uh, as always. Is there is there anything, or has there ever been anything like that in Australia? No, a lot of people spoke about it. Um, I've got a friend of mine at the moment, Matt, who actually has a B and B in Normandy. Um, oh, Matt uh, Williamson, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know Matt. Yeah, yeah. The old yeah. Uh, uh, the Blue Willow, as we call him. He's a he's a wonderful That's bloke, Matty. It, well, Matty, Matty and I have wargamed a bit at my place when I was living in Sydney. And Matt had Matt had um, plans to, to have something in the Southern Highlands, which would have been an mm. ideal spot. Very similar, in fact, in terms of um, greenery and hilly. It would have been a beautiful, picturesque mm. But um, he's decided to do it over in France because he's a selfish bastard. So um... yeah, he's got like a chateau or something, hasn't he? Yeah, has, absolutely. Seen some pictures of it. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen some he's, pictures of it, and he's always working hard. So, so no, we haven't. But geez, there's been a lot of talk about it. <laughs> yeah, it's, about it's like it. you know, is. Are, are you lucky? You know, we, we think we, we both think we're lucky with our twelve foot six war games tables and and our our figures. There. We haven't got a chateau in France, mate. We're, we're no. not that lucky at all, really. No, no not at all, not at all. No. I mean, and, and he lives a life of Riley. Let me give you the tip. He, yeah. he he's having a good old time. But you see, you talk about the war games holiday center, and then you've got, of course, um, you've got Andy and um, uh, is it Richard who's who's got legendary Richard, war yeah. games. Yeah. I mean, you look at what they do. I mean, it's superb, absolutely superb. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and you think to yourself, yeah, oh, wouldn't it be nice to be located somewhere around that vicinity to be able to once a month just just dart off for a weekend would be sensational. Yeah. Well, I'm lucky enough to have known Richard for over 30 years. He's uh, a member of the same club as me. So, uh, yeah, apart from him being a Leeds United fan, he's a good lad. He's a good lad. <laughs> well, we, once we, again, we all... legendary war games have been, similar to the Holiday Centre, have been huge supporters of the Sands of Sudan. They've yeah. been fantastic for that. Hmm. So your big games then, um, you do stuff down at the club. You said you have a Saturday free. Is that kind of a, we do. a space for you to break out and do something bigger than normal? Certainly, certainly. Or alternatively, I, I, I do put some bigger games on here. I mean, I still yeah. recall when I was uh, at the War Games Club as a university student, we would put on, we'd have, we would war game, we would have our own War Games holiday centre. We'd war game, we'd all turn up <laughs> on the Friday morning and we'd, we played Empire three at that time. I don't know if you're familiar with Empire, Napoleonic Yeah, Wars. yeah. Am, okay, yeah. and we all had vast collections. And so 10 or 12 mm. of us would turn up, would set up on a 30-foot by 6-foot table. There'd be like 10 cores aside. And they were mm. some of the... In those days, Ken, I had one ancient army, I had one Napoleonic army, and there's something to be said. I'm, I'm sure it was Peter Young who said, it's only the fool that uh, digresses and has all kinds of different kinds of periods and all kinds of different armies. <laughs> and um, yeah. you can tell that I really paid attention to that because I've got so many <laughs> figures. But but those days were so much fun because you knew what you had. And so I, I'd spend ages trying to work out the best tactics for this the army of northern Italy with, uh, with Prince Eugene in charge, knowing that he was taking on Archduke John across the river, um, mm -hmm. knowing that Cookie had... Uh, 
the, the old guard and replacing the Russians and there was a grand battle. Mm. It was fantastic. And, of course, as you can imagine, a war games club, the president was Napoleon because that's how he saw it. Of course. You know, yeah. Cookie was Davu because that's how he saw it. And I was this little Italian stepson on, on, the, on the side. <laughs> and that suited me perfectly, you know. You go yeah. take care of that village on the flank. Yeah, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> They're fond memories. But um, but you, we would have had thousands and thousands of figures on the table. We would have played for three days. And let me tell you, the only reason that we would have um, – ended up packing that up is because the aerobics class would have turned up on the Monday afternoon. That would have been the only reason we would have had to pack yeah. up the hall. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. It, it seems to be, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not wrong with this, but the, the move from big game towards skirmish game seems to be um, more prevalent at the moment. Is that something that you've noticed in Australia? Is it a similar sort of site? Oh, 100%. 100%. It's um, games like Saga, uh, games mm. like, uh, like where well, we talked about Chain of Command. Chain of Command is yeah. really a very small World War Two skirmish action. Um, uh, I, I think skirmish games have a, they do have an attraction. If you're there on a Wednesday night, you're turning up at seven o'clock, you've had a big day. Um, you don't want to be spending two hours setting up, playing for an hour and then spending an hour packing it away. I, I can understand that. Um, skirmish games, I don't mind them, but mm. if I had my choice, um, I'd rather play a larger scale game. Uh, it's one of the reasons why in the last year, uh, even though I've got a vast Napoleonic 28mm collection, when I say vast, I mean, it's a big collection. Um, mm. We've started, eight or nine of us have started building 15 mil collections just so mm. we can play a good game of general to army at the club on a Wednesday night, really to get all over the rules. We can play yeah. 15 mil, there's three or four brigades aside, plus a reserve. Um Primarily, in my case, so that when the twenty eights come out, it just runs like clockwork. So the fifteen mil is almost like our it's like our training pitch uh, to be able yeah. to play those games at the club. And and once we've started doing that, suddenly Napoleonic wargaming has had another resurgence at the club, which is which is a great result as well. Have you ever done the dreaded war games figure count? Do you know how many figures you have? Uh, no, no, only because. <laughs> That would be a very unwise move, Ken. <laughs> um, no, no, I haven't. Um, you haven't. No, and, and it would be pure speculation. Um, yeah. Allegedly, allegedly, Ken, yeah. I have many allegedly. tens of thousands, but I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> nor no, can it... just on the odd chance that my wife is listening. <laughs> ah, ah, true, true. No, um, uh, we. Um... Somebody asked me uh, when I was on their podcast a long time ago now, probably three years ago, uh, and I and I did the similar thing, and I went, oh, "What? Can't remember. <laughs> I've no idea. I've got no idea." Um, so, as all war gamers do, I was pottering around the war games room, not doing very much, and um, I'd had a couple of glasses of whiskey, and I thought, "You know what? I'm going to count them." <laughs> oh, jeez! How long did that take? Couple, couple oh, of... it, took, it, it took about a week and a half uh, <laughs> to get it all done. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I have done it now, and I, so I do have an accurate number. And How I've many do you have, Ken? 29,200-ish. And that's all 28s? So, no, that's a, that's a mix of stuff. Um, but you're I've getting all... into 10s now as well, aren't you? Yeah, well, that that is actually, um, if, if, you've, if people haven't seen it yet on my... Um, various social media um i had 
I've been working on my 28mm Italian Wars of Independence, my Garibaldi yeah, stuff. Beautiful for figures. Over a year, and I just needed a break. And um, I've had this box of figures for years. Um, and I've never done anything with them. And um, I bought a couple of packs 15 years ago. And I was looking to build a certain army, and the grenadiers weren't right. So I emailed the company back and said, look, I'm, re I'm really sorry. I bought these. They're great figures, but the grenadiers are right. Any chance you could send me some grenadiers to replace the ones you've got, I'm happy to send the other ones back. So next day uh, or next week, uh, a package comes through the door with two army packs in with the wrong grenadiers again. Oh, no. So, <laughs> So I emailed the manufacturer back uh, and said, brilliant, fantastic service, Thank but you've sent me the wrong grenadiers again. And and just as a passing comment, I've, and I've now got four army packs with the wrong grenadiers. And guess what happened a week later? Four army packs arrived. Jeez Louise. And again, and again all with the uh, wrong grenadiers. Oh, so, no. so I didn't dare email them back because I... It was like growing exponentially. Um, I, I, I didn't dare say I've now got eight army packs of the wrong grenadiers, so I just ordered the grenadiers separately. So that's how I've got to have a couple of thousand of these figures, and I've never done I've never done anything with them. So I just started it as as a break. Well, they um, shouldn't count. They shouldn't count in your count, Ken. For you know, at the end of the day, they are they're men from heaven. Okay, they're just yeah. they're miracle yeah. figures. Okay, that don't necessarily just, have to be in the count. <laughs> they just happen to be lying around, and yeah, keeping keeping me going, keeping the the uh, the, the paint uh, brush going. Ken, I've um, got to think. I've got to think. My numbers would be around the same. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been wargaming since I was fourteen, avidly, mm. and yeah. the advantage has been. And gosh, I think of the figures I've sold, and. Um, yeah. You know, you wish you you hadn't sold them, but uh, it is what it is. You know, but um, yeah, it's it's it it it's yeah, a lot of figures, a lot of figures. Yeah, I, 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 something I've never done. Um, are you say, so do you get rid of collections when they, you you fed up with them? I'm going through a cull at the moment. I'm actually, mm. um, if I haven't played with these figures for a long period of time, I, I'm actually sorting them out and then putting them up if they've been in boxes and I, for example I've, I've got a stack of painted figures um that i hadn't played with for ages and uh it's pointless having them there you know i, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't have taken them out on the table for for 15 years and my and my my tastes have changed and probably my painting quality has changed and so sometimes you'll you know you'll, you'll virtually gift them to somebody some young gamers yeah. who are starting off or you'll um some of the better stuff, which is surplus to requirements, you know, how many legios can you have in Lorica Segmenta? <laughs> you know, yeah. how many how many late yeah. Roman armies can you have? Um, mm. So you just move some of them. And and what I've got to the stage now, Ken, is that I try and let the hobby pay for the hobby. So yeah, if I if I want to commission Chris to paint up a brigade of Kelpe Prussians, well, that that funding has to come from my own collection. So that right. could be. That could be um, unpainted castings, which I once again, unfortunately, have many. It's like Del Boy yeah. and, and Rodney having enough lead <laughs> for the Russian nuclear fallout. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of lead here. So it might be unpainted castings. It might be figures that just don't fit in with my collection anymore or the direction of my wargaming. 
uh, that I want my wargaming to go. Um, so I tend to I tend to do that, and uh, that tends to that tends to keep me fairly honest in terms of what what comes into the collection. Every now and again, I'll have something um, extravagant done. Um, mm. Doug Mason uh, recently put together a, a, just a superb thirty-two man uh, Zastral Cuirassiers connoisseur figures in twenty-eights mm. for my uh, Napoleonic collection, and every single figure has been sculpted. You know, modified yeah. reins, swords, pins, and you know, oh, every yeah. now and again you have he's, you have you have one of those. It's beautiful. He's just a, he's just an absolute master of his art, isn't he, Doug? It's uh, uh, amazing stuff. Amazing. He's a gentleman. Stuff. He's a gentleman. <laughs> he's a lovely bloke. Lovely bloke. So, just to finish off this little section, then, if you if you wanted to give some advice to somebody new to the hobby about getting into big games or big gaming, uh, what would you kind of say or do to encourage people oh you know what push your way in just don't be shy um come up to a game and 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 let me tell you the guys pushing around all those battalions for starters we're all getting older it's it's hard pushing all that lead around we could use another brigade commander so just feel free to say you know what i really like this and any wargamer worth their salt will say you know what come on in there's a if, if you don't feel confident enough to take a command, just sit back, ask some questions, see what's going on. Um, I would encourage it because at the end of the day, uh, when I was a younger guy, Ken, I had, you know, I had a whole lot of minifig strip figures. <laughs> that's what mm. that's what I painted up, and that's how I got started. And so, yeah. it's never a case of oh, I'll never get, to, I'll never have that kind of collection. Well, you don't need to have that kind of collection. Yeah. You have to. It's like um, I love to go out, uh, go out um, on a boat. Well, you don't need a boat. You just need a friend that's got a boat. Okay, yeah, and exactly. and all and all you need to do is paint up some command figures. Maybe maybe your own brigade, like you used to take up to the holiday center in your deals with um, with uh, Jerry and, and Mike, and mm-hmm. um, maybe paint up a brigade. Maybe paint up a battalion. And just get started mm. that way. And I think once you've played in a big game where you have all those varying le- um, levels of command confusion, um, even in a colonial game in the Sudan, once you've commanded a, a regiment and you're hoping that that side of the square holds because those fuzzy wuzzies aren't that far away, um, <laughs> yeah, I think you'll go off and uh, you'll go off and think, yeah, I, could, I wouldn't mind doing this. I'll, 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 I'll dip my toe in the water and see what I can do. Yeah, I, I, a lot of people say to me, I can't do it. And I I can't remember, I think it's probably one of my old games teachers or something like that would say there's no such word as can't. You can always try. And having a go, like you say, that's brilliant advice. Having a go, getting involved in a game with somebody at a club or something like that. And it might not be for you. You might prefer skirmish gaming, but don't, don't write it off. Um, and there's always... Old blokes like me and Carlo who are desperate to get some extra gamers at our table. So, uh, so please come along and, and join in uh, and get involved in uh, in a bit of big gaming. That's uh, well. This podcast has started for on my little uh, my little crusade uh, for in, <laughs> in my elder years of war gaming. Uh, so that's a that's a great little finish to that section, mate. So we will move on to the. Yorkshire Gamer Quiz. And we're back uh, with the Yorkshire Gamer Quiz. And uh, 
It's a bit of fun, as we always have on this show. And uh, just a little disclaimer at the start, uh, we're not meaning to upset anybody <laughs> during the course of this uh, quiz, although we probably will do. Um, so I'll just apologise now. Um, so you've, uh, it's just a test of how Yorkshire gamer are you, not how much of a, 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 a gamer or how good a gamer you are. Um, so are you, are you ready to go, mate? I'm ready. Let's see. Let's see if this translates to Australia, because it's quite regional uh, in okay. some of the questions. But there we go. Uh, so, question one: uh, Go big or go home? Oh, go big. Go big. Uh, contrast paints. Do you think they're great or are they a gimmick? I know people who love them, but I think they're a gimmick. Awesome. Um, Paint brushes. Are you using um, overpriced Southern-made? <laughs> Windsor and Newton, <laughs> or, or fine quality uh, made down the road in Skipton Pro Art. Pro Art's when I can get my hands on them. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. I'll uh, I'll put you down on their mailing list, mate. Oh, I'll please do, ship, please ship, do. Ship them, ship you some. Um, it's still on my to-do list is to get them on the program, and I will do. I will oh, that'd be a good idea. Um, so, uh, 96 figures, is that an army or a unit of pike? Oh, it's almost a forlorn hope, really, isn't it? <laughs> no. That's a unit of like, pike. <laughs> like, like where you're coming from, like where you're coming from. Uh, a six by four table, would you class that as a big game or a small game? Uh, that's like a staging, staging table, Ken. <laughs> oh, staging tables. Oh, we're talking. Those tables at the back of the War Games Holiday Centre where you just have like billions of figures ready to come on. It's just unbelievable. I mean, it really is. Look, and, and I'm being a bit facetious there. Believe me, we play on a six by four at the club in 15 mil and it, only because yeah. it's a space thing because we have so many people. But if I've got a choice, yeah, uh, go big or go home. <laughs> Yeah, acreage, that's what it's all about. Uh, so, uh, question six, uh, would you prefer a points-based army or an historical order of battle? Historical order of battle every time. Well, are we doing very well so far? Uh, and another painting question, would you go for a wet palette or an old bit of MDF to mix your paints? Yeah, I've got a wet palette hidden away somewhere, which I've never used. Um, MDF and my blocking sheet of paper, which has about every single colour that I've actually got in my whole paint rack, <laughs> is represented on my blot blotting pad. Excellent. That's what I like to see. I don't want to claim any credit, but wet palettes are going out of fashion since this podcast started. So. Oh, I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear. I might get some money for mine. <laughs> Um, you're undercoating figures. Do you use black or white undercoat? Uh, I tend to use black, but as my eyesight's setting to go, I, I use black and then I dry brush lightly with um, Foundry Rebel Grey 11C. There you go. I'm looking at it right now. Only so it brings up a little bit of the detail for my eyes. So that, that's, I think they call that zenithal high, um, priming is the, is the new terminology for that. Yeah, that sounds a bit rude, uh, actually. I yeah, some, some, uh, some. One of the kids who've been on the program <laughs> explained that to me. Oh gosh, um, there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and I thought I was just. I, I thought I was just hard. Of, I, I couldn't see. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, I was confused, and it's like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> anyway, so I, I do learn something every now and again. Um, so, question nine. Um, 
Hot drink, uh, Yorkshire tea or dirty mucky coffee? Oh, Yorkshire tea. Every oh, time. Awesome. Excellent. Extra strong. Is it is it available down there in Australia? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I could take you downstairs and uh, in the pantry there would be uh, uh, Yorkshire tea and extra strong Yorkshire tea. In very oh, fancy boxes. Brilliant. brilliant. My, my lad's just been working at Camp America um, and about a week in he said, Dad, I can't do this Lipton's tea. <laughs> Uh, and they have it cold as well. You need to oh. say so. I uh, I airlifted some Yorkshire tea to him in uh, in uh, <laughs> uh, New York State. Bless him. So well, obviously uh, it was he's... a humanitarian effort from the United Nations <laughs> yeah. up there in Yorkshire. Well done, Ken. <laughs> it should have been airdropped. Shouldn't it parachuted in exactly right, <laughs> <laughs> along with an so old uh, an old char lady <laughs> right down next to her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it's like the, the Berlin airlift, but in twenty twenty two. Uh, so, War Games units, uh, if it's uh, historically accurate, do you prefer tightly packed or socially distanced? Oh, tightly packed. Tightly packed. We love a tightly packed unit on here. Um, Two-hour club game or a weekend monster game? Once again, a weekend monster game with the potential to go into sick days in the working week. <laughs> Keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> The uh, the latest uh, I don't know if you've seen it the uh, WSS War Games survey they do every year. Yes, do it religiously. Yeah, yeah, and they, they have a question on there: um, what is the average time for a game that you would like? And I think it was like under an hour, three hours, six hours, more than six hours. And I emailed them back and said, "Do you mean days?" <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a response? <laughs> yeah, Jasper got back to me and said, uh, we, we might include that next time. Oh, they should. That would be funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, question 12, doing very well so far. Avocado, is it just posh, mushy peas? Yes, I live in Australia, Ken. Avocado is like, everyone has avocado. <laughs> it's, um, I'd have to, I'm sorry, mate, I'm going to have to say no. It's. No. <laughs> So is it? Does that like literally grow on trees in Australia? Is it? Is it one of your? <laughs> you can't. You can't go to a place. I mean, every second person's ordering avocado on toast with poached eggs. It's um, avocados are everywhere at the moment, and they're cheap as chips. So um, at the moment, they Don't are. Sh- that is. Yeah. Don't be shipping them over here. Don't be sending them to us. <laughs> no, no. Don't get me wrong. I like mushy peas more than an next bike, but I don't mind my avocado either. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, I think kind of Birmingham and North is the avocado line. Okay, I'll, just, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah, it's not official, but I'm sure there's a line on a map somewhere that says it. Uh, the universal question, so don't let me down with this, Carlo. Uh, everyone has answered this uh, the same way so far, and that's round dice. Are they spherical dice? Are they allowed or banned on your table? Oh, banned. I hate round dice. Banned. Hundred percent. Excellent. Somebody tried to buy me some and they couldn't find any, which was a good thing. <laughs> you probably you probably gone there beforehand, thrown them all out. Yeah, they, they might as well be like the old fashioned Dungeons and Dragons. Maybe you used to have a twenty sided dice. Yeah, you know, because they'll just roll forever, and the amount of spears and shields they knock off. Mm. Yeah. It's like old. It's like being seven or eight again and rolling marbles at your, at your <laughs> figures, but the figures cost pence then, and now the 
a couple of quid and ten pounds worth of painting on top. So <laughs> absolutely, yeah, maybe not. Um, you're going down the chippy. Have you if you, you love fish and chip shops in Australia? Oh, you? I love fish and chip shops. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Are you? Uh, do you prefer haddock or cod? This will surprise you, Ken. Um, I'm not yeah. a fish eater. Okay, Ooh. I love the chips. I love yeah. the chips. Okay, I'll even have. A, I'll even go so far as have a potato cake or two. But uh, everyone else in the house will have um, fish, and uh, over here I think it's flake, which is flake, which is a flake, which is mm. um, code for shark, and yeah. um, and dewfish, which are the, oh. the main the main fish that uh, are in our seas, our waters over here. So um, cod and what was the other one? Haddock. Haddock, yeah, no, I, no. I couldn't tell you. Not being the fish eater, I am Ken. Sorry, no. I. I I, no I, I plead the fifth. And do uh, do Australian fish and chip shops do gravy and peas and curry and all that sort not of the stuff? Ones, not the ones I go to. It's um, ah. mainly fish and chips. In the old days, it used, you used to be able to get a hamburger and a thing called yeah. a Chico roll, which was uh, a way a way of most of the um, uh, pie manufacturers getting rid of all their refuse, I yeah. think, and putting it into a nice battered, <laughs> a battered cylinder. <laughs> Which tasted tremendous yeah. when I was younger. I've got to be honest. Um, so yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, mate. If I'm having fish and chips, it's uh, I'm probably cooking it's a hamburger at home these days. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Lots no of salt worries. and vinegar, though. Lots of salt and vinegar. <laughs> um, do you like uh, a good table and a set of rules, like a casualty table or something similar? I do. I do. do. I know. Excellent. I know. It's not popular. But anyone yeah. who's seen the sedan rules will see that there are there there are tables there. <laughs> yeah, I love a table, I, and I don't know what the I don't know what the problem is. I love a, a good table. Uh, I think I think a lot of it's down to the fact that I do quite complex maths at work. So looking at a table and cross referencing, or adding one for elite and taking one off for soft cover isn't stretching my mathematical knowledge that much. No. So I don't really have a problem with it. But you, you uh, Ken, I don't know if you ever played WRG 6th edition rules, and uh, mm. um, which were, you know, what were they, Phil Barker's. But you'd run down the list, you know, plus one, army standard, yeah. you know, general, blah, blah. What's the problem? You know, I, I've yeah. prepared for that. My general's within command range, et cetera, et cetera. I don't see the yeah. problem. But I understand that people want to get on with it, and they, a four, five, or six, and you're dead, and a five and six, and you save, and they're the general rules, and that's fine. I understand that, but you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not threatened by a table. <laughs> no, no, I love it. I love a table, and I'm not. I'm proud to say that I do. Um, Twenty-eight mil is king. Yes or no? Yes. 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 Uh, 17, unpainted miniatures allowed on the table, yes or no? No. 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 <laughs> excellent, excellent. Um, no no bias here with me wearing a Bradford City no. shirt, but Bradford City or Leeds United? You know, Ken, this is interesting. I'm a Southampton supporter, okay? I, yeah. I, I, follow, I follow the Saints in 76 when they beat oh. United in the FA Cup mm. final, and uh, yes, I, watched, I remember uh, that game. I watched. I watched us lose one uh, 0 to South uh, to United um, on the weekend. Um, Mad Saint supporter. Um, look, a lot of Australians went and played for Leeds. You know, uh, Harry Kewell. Yeah. I'm thinking Harry, Harry Kewell. Mark Verduka. 
Mark Baduki, well. yes. You know, they were good players. Yeah. They were good players. But you know what? What kind of a guest would I be if, you know, I turned my back on you, Ken? So I think Excellent. the answer's obvious. That's what I like. I can't think. James Meredith um, is an Australian. Played left, I think he played left back for Australia a couple of times. Uh, played for Bradford City a few years ago. Oh, well, there we go. Well, oh, there we go. Well, we There's were... the link. There's the link. The I, don't feel such... of... I don't feel like a charlatan anymore. I feel yeah. <laughs> like a genuine man. James Meredith. The end... In fact, I think he might have ended up at Perth. What's the football team called Perth, in Perth? Perth Glory. Perth Glory, that's it, yeah. Very unfortunate chap. That's, that's a terrible place to end up your career. <laughs> yeah. We're struggling didn't, at the moment, Perth Glory, struggling. Didn't Robbie Fowler manage He certainly Fowler. did. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, he certainly played for us, and then I, I think he managed uh, uh, the Brisbane Roar, went up to Queensland. Ah, and, right. and did the, But he brilliant. played for us, Robbie Fowler. I mean, geez, he was a brilliant player in his day. I mean, yeah. I think Robbie yeah, was over played. for a holiday. But other than that, that's okay. Enjoy the sun, Robbie. Yeah, holiday in a wage packet. Well, there we go. <laughs> That's uh, right. <laughs> question 19. Yorkshire or the other place over the hill? Oh, it has to be Yorkshire. It has oh, to be Yorkshire. Brilliant. brilliant. And uh, finally, Games Workshop. Are they the work of the devil? Yes or no? Oh, they have a place, Ken. They have, uh, listen, I'll, I'll answer that by saying their marketing people are the work of the devil. <laughs> I think I think how they, they market and price things is a disgrace, but geez, yeah. some of their figures are beautiful. They really are. Yeah. I just wish I didn't have to sell the children to be able to buy two or three of them. That's all. Um, you, you, I, I, I'm sure that the the same all over the world. Games Workshop shop. You walk in and the the sell starts almost immediately, yeah. particularly if your grandmother with those thirteen and fourteen year old, or not even thirteen, nine or ten year old grandkids. Um, I don't like that. I don't like that. Yeah. I think um, the hard sell is a bit too much and the constant changing and uh, I, no, it's not for me. But mm. but there are some beautiful... I mean, I love Blood Bowl. I think it's a great gaming system. Um, I really like Space Hulk. I think that's a really good system. Some of their paints are, uh, are worthwhile, you know, in terms yeah. of get, get, using them alongside the Vallejos and the Colormasters and those other bits and pieces. But, yeah, I, you know, if I could uh, take a flame thrower to the marketing department, I think I would. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, you've done extremely well. I've given you a couple of half marks on some questions for that weird highlighting thing that you did. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but that's 85%, which is definitely in the upper quartile of uh, people who've been on the show. So thanks very much for doing that. Well, the most southern, southern Bradford supporter in the world. There we go. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, so that moves on to uh, the uh, feature that's been on the show for quite a while now, actually, and that's the War Games Room 101. Um, and uh, people remember George Elwell's 1984, and there was a, a room of horror called Room 101 where you would put your deepest, darkest fears, and uh, it turned into a TV show here in the UK. And uh, I thought I'd bring it back onto this podcast and allow people a uh, kind of open and free uh, attempt to shove one of their personal wargame pet hates into Room 101. And we've, we've had some crackers in the past. Have you managed to come up with one, Carlo? Oh, 100%. 100%. Oh, and- he's got one. He's got, he's got one. And, Go on then, mate. What, what it, have we come it, up with? Ken, it links back to dice, okay? But yeah. I can't stand playing a game with an opponent whose mm. dice 
I can barely see the the dots on it. Okay. Oh. So so oh. so so a whole lot of dice are rolled. You need fours to hit, and the dice are rolled, and you you're struggling to be able to see because mm. it's like a, a gold dice with silver silver dots or whatever it may be. And uh, look, I like my wargaming friends. I enjoy playing with them. I don't trust all of them. That's for sure. Okay, especially when it's a crucial part of the battle. You know, four was that was that was that a four? Because I could have sworn that was a two. <laughs> but so I dislike dice that I can't see easily. Okay, particularly when my opponent is using them at a critical juncture in the battle. So all dice should be visible. It should almost be flashing neons or or black and white. Whatever happened to black and white dice? You can't seem to get them anymore. Everyone wants these fancy colours. So it's it's the contrast between the face of the dice and, and the dots. Well, that's be... exactly right. I mean, I mean, a black dice with an obsidian dot. It yeah. doesn't it doesn't sit well with me. <laughs> okay, black or white or white or red or something like that. Please, I, I should be banned. Should be banned. What 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 are, what are your thoughts then on? Um, alternative um faced dice and by what i mean we we had a guy who um brought in some dice and they had roman numerals on for example is that is that on the borderline or is that acceptable well, can, well, well cannot you know i i you know i i know my roman numerals i'm not threatened by yeah. uh, a little bit of that i think that's quite funny and innovative and as long as it as long as i can see that v is for 5 and I could see it. Yeah. I'm a happy man, yeah. you know. As long and so, I've got no problem with that at all. I tell you what, I don't like. I don't like those dice where they'll have um, the one is represented by like an eagle or a or a drum yeah. or something like that. And I think they come out of China. And they, whenever I've had them, they invariably roll ones because of the weighting. Yeah. They're just poorly poorly done. I don't particularly like those dice. Um, but in terms of having Roman numerals on it, or uh, something like that. I, I, I've got no problem with game systems that re- use four-sided or ten-sided dice or twelve-sided dice. In fact, the sedan does all of that in homage to mm. what Peter Gilder used to used to do at the Holiday Centre. But as long as I can, yeah. as long as I can see the number or I can see what's what's on the on the dice, I've got no problem with that at all, Ken. Yeah, I mean, we've we've had somebody at our club who um, who turned up with some Hebrew dice, mm. and of course. Not other than him, none of us knew what the symbols were. So yeah, yeah. I, I admire his. Too. I admire his chutzpah again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a nice try. It was a nice try. But uh, yeah, no, I, I I can't I can't disagree with that. And that's a that's another cracking one to uh, to lock into the vault of room one hundred and one, uh, which is uh, ever growing. <laughs> I, I didn't know whether it'd last and whether we'd run out of stuff that people hate, but clearly we're we're nowhere. We're not even scratch the surface you, yet. You have only just started to scratch the surface, Ken. Believe me, <laughs> believe me. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to lock this up and, and, and put it into the deepest, darkest depths of the North Sea. <laughs> yeah, this this is the part of the show that gets the most complaints, without a shadow of a doubt. Why? We Why put, do people uh, complain about? <laughs> because they get upset. They get upset. You see. <laughs> Uh, we had um, one, of my, one of my dear old war games friends, Stephen Barker. He put pale blue um, uh, primary school blue rivers 
uh, terrain in. Oh, some people on Twitter like that. <laughs> My word. It was dreadful. Oh, oh. uh, I'll tell you anyway, what, we the- still... We still have the debate at our club about we go back to the old days about chalk on the table. Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Ooh. People nearly came to blows. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's brilliant, mate. Thanks once again uh, for that, and uh, we're going to be back in a minute, and we're going to talk about our big topic. Well, welcome to the uh, the big topic section of the show. And uh, at the end of the show, we always uh, speak to our guests about a particular uh, topic that's close to their hearts. And uh, we're going to be talking about, as we mentioned at the start, the, the rule set Sands of Sudan. Um, but the first thing I'm going to ask Carla before we start is to talk about a little bit about colonial wargaming, because it's not something that we've talked about on the podcast before. It's not something that I've I don't think I've, I think I might have played one game in the past. So uh, just for the listeners out there, Carlo, what is colonial wargaming? It's it's a, it's an interesting question, Ken, because colonial wargaming has a lot of connotations, you know, in terms mm. of ah, oh, well, you know, you've got you've got European troops going off and uh, basically beating up the natives, so to speak, yeah. and this, that, and the other. Mm. Um, if you want it to be that, it can be that, okay. Um, mm. And you know what? It may well have been that many, many, many years ago. But but at the end of the day, I think the modern take on colonial wargaming is that you're taking on uh, a, a wily opponent in their own territory and their own uh, in their own familiar surroundings, often with chaps who have just literally walked off uh, walked off a bus and uh, and gone into the enlisting office there in in London or up at Manchester or Birmingham or whatever yeah. it may be, or or after South Africa like. A, the New South Wales Regiment, you know, in the in the Boer War, mm. um, colonial war gaming can even be deemed to you be know, French Indian wars, really, in terms of what you mm. how you look at it. So, colonial gaming. I was introduced to colonial gaming from once again some of the expat boys at the club, um, the Cookie and Mike. Um, certainly, in the early days, Sword in the Flame had a there was a popularity with Sword in the Flame, mm. um, the 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 excellent rule set. Uh, the, Gosh, the chap who wrote them, his name, um, Larry Brom, uh, put them together, and uh, and um, you know so that I was. I had a copy behind me, but I haven't. <laughs> I think I, you know what I think every war gamer has, you know, yeah. of our of our vintage. So the colonial the colonial game can be whatever you want it to be. I mean, you've had people say, "Oh well, you know, the Boer War. What's the point of fighting? You know, the Boer War. You know, you've got the Boers there. They run and they shoot and they hide. Well, it's a modern ambush skirmish game. It's you're doing the same thing if you're doing anything in Afghanistan or doing anything in Somalia or, um, or any of those mercenary actions that were so popular when I was in uh, going through in, in the 80s. You know, we all watched uh, Dogs of War and read, um, uh, watched The Wild Geese, and we wanted to have little mercenary actions in these fictional African <laughs> African countries. So, in effect, that's a that's a colonial game. Um, mm. So the scope is huge. The ability to play on a lot of different um, fronts is interesting. A lot of different nationalities, because of course, um, a lot of colonial powers. Um, you know, you had the, the Belgians, of course. I mean, who fights Belgian troops these days, other than in yeah. Napoleonics or in the colonies? Um, so those kind of bits and pieces. Australian gamers, um, obviously the Boer War, but also the Sudan, which was first mm. the first war where Australian troops went. Um, so it, it it provides a lot of scope. 
you can play it as small as you want. You can play it as big as you want. And of course, you know, he'll ever forget some of those beautiful games of uh, recreations of Islandwana in in the old wargaming magazine. So superb. Mm. Yeah. And um, was that one of the things that got you into it as well as those friends, those pictures in those early war games magazines of um, that, that, that sort of game, the Sudan games from Peter Gilder? I, I, without a shadow of a doubt, Ken, uh, mm. when you grab those early miniature war games and the war games illustrated, you were just captured by those photos, particularly the way Duncan took them. I mean, you hear the stories after Duncan's passed away of what he would do in the photo and, and, and the camera that he would set up and the old plates and how and yeah. how he would he would just picture things. And you know what? It shows. It shows mm. that he cared and loved what he did. And he knew that that it that a picture painted a thousand words. And so you looked at those pictures. And for me, this little boy in working class Midland getting the train into the city to buy those magazines whenever they came out and hoping they'll come. And, of course, they'd come out three months after they came out in England because I'd have to come over on the ship, of course. Yeah. And so you'd find a place that, that had it and you'd look through this mm. magazine and and you devoured every single word and you saw every single detail in the picture. And then sedan specials came out. I mean, when I say the sedan specials, the article's about sedan by Peter Gilder. Mm. And he's talking yeah. about this game that started at the War Games Holiday Centre which was really just a change-up, you know. Yeah. Um, they would play a particular game on, you know, an apologetic game and the people are staying for the week. And this was just, um, I don't know, what would you call it? It was almost like a, um, a palate cleanser for the war gamers at, 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 yeah. at, at centre. It, yeah. it was something just to change things. But my God, I mean, the scope of it was unbelievable. And the, and the brilliance of being able to have all the players there against the umpire. It's us against them, and who doesn't like us against them? Yeah. And 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 from I never met Peter Gilder. I never had yeah. the pleasure. But all the stories I hear is that a, a bigger storyteller, rock and tour um, yeah. showman, you couldn't find. And yeah. so the sands, the sedan rules that he played, or the sedan games he played. Hmm. The reason there were never any rules is because most of it was up here. Yeah. He was like he was like a he was like an historical dungeon master, and and he <laughs> and if the game was going in a particular direction, he would take it on another direction, and mm. and that was the attraction of it. And you saw these pictures of these squares holding off what seemed to be thousands and thousands of figures of Beja and Hadendawa and Ansar and all these troops and camel troops coming over the. And how could you not be think? Well, this is this is pretty special. So a couple <laughs> of my a couple of my mates decided that they were going to try and put this on, okay? And they had a few scraps of notes and things like that. And and so the first sedan game I played was with Phil Cook and Mike Ward and Cookie's yeah. from Basingstoke and Wardy's from Leicester. And mm. they put the game on. And we went from there. It was a little bit haphazard because it was, mm. you know, we were working off little snippets of paper, old, uh, almost see-through <laughs> handwritten sheets. Yeah. But yeah. but it had a charm, and I knew even at that stage that that there was a that that, that this had this had a, a charm that needed exploration. Before we talk about the rules themselves, um, is it a figure collection that you've built up yourself as well? Have you? I have a big have I have you... a big col- um, sedan collection, as you can imagine. Mm. Uh, quite a few of them f- feature in the in the rules. Um, yeah. I also have. Um, uh, a whole lot of French Foreign Legion, the old Redoubt 
French Foreign Legion yep. and Arabs, you know, the Touaregs and stuff like that, waiting, just waiting for me to, to put together because the advantage of these brawls is that, that you really, the us against um, the umpire type mentality is um, mm. transferable onto so many theatres. So, but my main colonial collection, the major colonial collection I have is the Sudan. Is that 28 mil? All, all connoisseurs, all, yeah. I mean, ninety-eight percent of them are connoisseur, connoisseur miniatures. Mm. And um, the 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 Gilder collection, the photographs of that collection that was in the magazines. Um, do you happen to know where those figures are now? Are they still with Mark? Or I no, I believe that um, some of them are with Dave Thomas because right, I think okay. Dave Dave Thomas has got got a few of them, and I believe mm. that Keith Leedy who was the connoisseur agent in North America. Um, oh, I believe right, okay. Keith, I'm not, I don't believe, I know that Keith has a good, mm. healthy collection, part of the collection as well. And so he has, um, I've actually seen in some of the games on on Jim's um, excellent blog, um, Adult Fritz, where uh, they play some games mm. in, in, I think it was in Jim's basement. And some of the, the old, do you remember the Oasis with the woman washing yeah. her cloth? And they're, yeah. in, they're in Keith's, uh, collection there in north america so uh, i have one unit here plus a screw gun and a naval gun which chris oh, cornwall wow. chris cornwall sold me and said that they were they were part of the gilder collection because chris of course oh, was the connoisseur agent for, for for a while in the uk yeah after after chris oh. gilder went to, went went over that's 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 amazing to hear that they're still around somewhere i, I always like to track these figures down and um very similar for me with the Italian Wars was the those early pictures in the magazines of Peter's collection, and then seeing a lot of those at the Italian Wars weekend I did at the Holiday Centre. It, it, it was almost as if there was like a glowing uh, aura from this particular, yeah, you know, right. the units that, that had been around for. It was probably probably like a smell from thousands of war gamers <laughs> moving them around over, over the <laughs> over the years. Um, but it's it's. Definite to say that those early magazines had a massive influence on so many people with those photographs. I think, I think if I remember rightly, they were in the very early ones. There was maybe uh, there was the front cover and the back cover in colour, and then maybe three or four colour pages. That's right. Um, and and the effect that they had on me and quite clearly on you was 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 quite profound. Well, Ken, do you remember when? Um... They brought out War Games World. They had five mm. issues of War Games World, the yellow cover. Yes, okay, yes, and then those, yeah. and then that's where the, the, the Gilda Sedan got a real run, got a real yeah. run. And um, mm. you know, you, you, you've got you've got gunships, you've got steamboats, you've got oh, what more could you want? Yeah, I think um, the variety of unit types and um, different things that you can have is one of the big draws, isn't it, for the colonial? Period. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, and it's mm. and it's it's funny, you know. You, on the, the, we'll talk about the rules a little bit later on, but on mm. their day, the 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 Haddon Dower, the the, the answer, you know, the fuzzy wuzzies and the they can they can run through an imperial square, you know, if they get the right yeah. set of rolls, it's it's all over. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's not a good sign. So, when was your first contact then with that set of rules? Um, well, 
when I when I first met Mike, um, mm. uh, Mike Ingham and, and Jerry Elliott, uh, he touched on it briefly when I was playing that Oslitz game that I that fifteen years before I think I'd played a, a colonial game with Cookie and, and Mike Ward, and uh, uh, would it be okay to you know try and do something? And then Mike passed away, and mm. I contacted Jerry mm. again a few years afterwards, and uh, and said, Jerry, look, do you mind if I put this together? Mm. Um, uh, it's something that I really want to do, and Jerry was and Jerry was fantastic. He was very very supportive, um, and then he sold the business, uh, his part of the business, and then Mark mm. took over the the running of it. And you know the the setup with yeah. Holiday Centre now, and and Mark was very generous of it too. You know, he, he, once he found out what the what the intention was, he was very supportive as well. And and then that mm. started the uh, that started the whole. Um, the whole investigation, the whole the whole research yeah. job. Yeah. It was it was interesting. You were strapping your big broad hat on and uh, cracking the whip and firing the pistol and uh, going off into the deep dark depths of mines to find old bits of paper with rules. Absolutely, on. trying to fill the gaps, <laughs> trying to yeah. fill the gaps, Ken. Because and believe me, there were gaps. You know, um, a couple of a couple of prime. Peter was. Peter was very well known, and people who have known him very well mm. would share this and say, but Peter wasn't adverse to taking the bit the best bits out of other bits and pieces <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and making them his own in, <laughs> in, in that roguish kind of fashion that, uh, that he did. And I'm sure Robbie Rodis would have told you a lot about all yes, that. Robbie's, Robbie's <laughs> yeah. blog, and it's fantastic, mm. you know. And, and yeah. so uh, it was a way of – of course, he based he – based, the whole concept of the dice determining what the um, what the natives would do on an excellent excellent set of rules called um, Pony Wars or B yeah. Troop Ain't Coming Back by um, Ian Beck, of which yeah. I've got about five copies on my shelf because um, once again I'll read it and just think this is the best set of rules in the world. Why can't I play it? You know, yeah. it was just a scale. Once again, I came across it when I was quite young. And they've just re-released Pony Wars, by the way. Yes, they have. Um, yeah, yeah. And 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 the production values of that and what they're doing for that, believe me. Once I've once I've put a few things aside, there's another distraction that's going to cost me a lot of pounds. But <laughs> but there we. But but he took a lot of that from Pony Wars. He also mm. took bits and pieces from Newbury's Colonial Rules. Um, and I just so happened to have an old set of Newbury Colonial Rules, which Paul Young and I used to play um, Zulu Wars with. And it was an old-fashioned set of rules, but there were ranges and charts in there that were taken directly from the Newbury rules and put into Peter's charts. You could see where the charts were. And so that started to fill the gaps. You started to work out, okay, well, this gun has this kind of uh, firing rate. It has this kind of – fires four men. And, of course, the sedan has a has the mother of all casualty charts, as you know, yeah, um, yeah. in terms of number of figures firing – compared to the fire factor and that fire factor. Mm. And it was very important to me when I was doing this to be respectful of the tradition of the rules. Yeah. It, was, it would have been very easy for me to come along and put my own modern take on this set of rules. Now, that would have been wrong on every single, on every single stage because this is a – we're talking about a set of rules that was used to fight some of the most iconic war games – Ever captured by any wargaming magazine, hobby magazine, yeah. ever? I don't know anybody that has that, that is a wargamer of our of our 
generation who wasn't absolutely captured by those images. So it had to be respectful of that tradition of the rules. That was paramount. It would yeah. have been really easy to put charts like we were talking about before, four, fives, and sixes, and and modif- But that wasn't what it's about. This is a set of rules that that grew out of the eighties. When, in my mind, some of my fo- my fondest wargaming memories, and so it had to, it had to be very respectful of that. Not only for his his legacy and his memory, but also all the guys that played these games at the Holiday Centre. The yeah. worst thing that I could possibly have put together is a is a, a take on these rules and these guys will say, well, what's this, what's this bloody, you know, Aussie done with this? This is crap. It had, <laughs> it had to be in the spirit of Peter Gilder and the War Games Holiday Centre of the 80s and 90s. It had to be. And I hope, I hope that's what we've achieved. Yeah, so it was very much a reproduction of the rules rather than a rewriting of the rules. I, I, I probably um, describe myself as an editor of these rules. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I think I have my name on it, but it's inspired by Peter Gilder because I see myself as an editor of the rules. I've, I've, I've managed to pull a lot of the bits and pieces together. And that was an exercise in itself, Ken, because once I put the blog up um, with pyjamas through the desert, um, it, I asked the question, I said, listen, if you've ever played the game, if you ever were at the Holiday Centre, if you ever had a mate that was at the Holiday Centre, mm. please email me. Tell me about the scenarios you played. Give me your fondest memories. Wow. <laughs> I tell you what, it opened the floodgates. And so these guys were saying, you know what, I'm 80-something now, but I remember going down there with my son. We played this game. The cat, the, the steamer got stuck on the cataract. He wrote about it in the rules. I still remember Peter snapping off the funnel and putting it there and the Gatling gun jammed and the, you know, and 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 just the joy coming out of these emails was fantastic mm. and so uh, yeah i think i think a lot of the things though i've not played it the the big feeling that i've got about these rules is that they've produced some amazing narrative games um where people are not getting involved in the 15 inches to do that or the plus one for this they're getting involved in the story of the game and the story of the units uh, and i think it was on one of your one of your blog posts um the story where some unit had led four charges or something like that and and the officer had been killed on the final charge and peter put a little red dot on the table where that had happened and those are the sorts of stories i love where you you know you bring in those little metal or plastic figures to life um it's it's the history of our hobby yeah yeah it's the history of our hobby and so and so you look at it and you say okay uh, you remember that you remember the story you remember the the whole technique of rolling the the norton felt okay or the you know and and having it jam you know, right yeah. at the critical time, <laughs> do I do I do I take those extra rounds or or do I risk yeah. the gun jamming? The whole thing of ambushes, you know, that everyone everyone's going through these particular areas and they're scared stiff because they're not <laughs> sure if they if they're going to unleash a a, a a one base ambush or or suddenly 400, 400 um, camels come out of the out of a wadi or something like that. It's um it's the scope of it's fantastic, and and of course. If you've got someone who, who who's umpiring the game, or you're, it's ideal for solo play as well, of course, because of yeah. course it's it, you've got the generation of the um, the the native forces are all randomly generated. Okay, mm. so 
their movement and their actions are all determined by charts and and and, and what's going on in the game. So you can you can easily play it solo, but if you're playing it with a few people, um, and there's all these little side stories going on, you know, the commander of the twenty first lancers uh, owes uh, the B squadron commander owes a whole lot of money to the um, to the chap who's running the uh, you know the 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 camera the Camerons, and so in his mind, he's the colonel of the Camerons, and he he wants to make sure that bloke doesn't die. <laughs> okay. So you know he's sending him to all these secret places while whilst the other A, C, and D squadrons are all doing all the charges while B is on reconnaissance somewhere. You know, and, and all these all these brilliant little subplots which you can which we all saw in the Hollywood movies. Okay, yeah. uh, and 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 we can and we can just put them into our games, and it just adds. It adds that level of depth to a particular mm. game, which uh, which is what we're all looking for. So, but um, looking back at you, the, um, the 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 blog, the with pajamas in the deserts, um, the the first thing um, there's a a story, little story on your blog about how that name came about. <laughs> so, uh, where did that come from? <laughs> I tell you what, it was um, uh, it was my warrant officer. Is that the story that went with my warrant officer yeah. in the reserves? So. Yeah. He couldn't say he, Pagato. He said, Pagato, "What's that? What's that?" And he said, oh, "It's Italian German." And he was Welsh. And he said, "Oh, well, you couldn't pick a couldn't pick a winner in both wars." So he called me pajamas. <laughs> he couldn't say Pagato. So it was pajamas. So uh, and in the end, <laughs> he was a harsh man. He was a very harsh man. Um, so he ended up uh, that ended up being my nickname, pajamas, in uh, during yeah. during that during that particular venture into the reserves, the territorials, as you'd call them. So that was good fun. Good fun, and, and and it stuck. I, I still get called pajamas at the cricket club, and for yeah. some reason, you know, these Australians just can't they just can't pronounce these multi <laughs> multiphonic <laughs> names. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a bit worrying. Uh, so that that blog kind um, I looked at. I think the first post was June twenty thirteen. Um, how much have you managed to put together and piece together at the time that that first post came out? That was probably one of the tasters. That was the that was the attempt to get to get the the rules out there. Hey, look, there's this chap down here. He's trying to get this moving along. Mm. Send through your memories. Send through your thoughts and and uh, any information you might have. So, 2013, probably about 75 percent of it was put getting yeah. getting put together. I've been working on that for a few years, and then information came in, and then the great the discovery of the Newbury rules was great. Um, mm. Can I can I tell you, Ken? With the publishing mm. publication of the latest Pony War rules, there's there was one particular thing which I still wasn't sure of, okay, and suddenly it's mm. as clear as day, and oh, uh, wow. okay, so I'll be putting that up as a online, just saying, hey guys, mm. this is what we do, okay, because yeah. because that's what um what, what it was based on. I remember um getting in touch with Ian's friends after I'd put the sedan rules out, um. And saying, "Hey, do you, are you guys doing anything with Pony Wars?" And that was quite a few years ago. Says, "No, no, look, mm. Carlo, thanks, but we've got a plan for it." And geez, they've they've done a great job of it. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole so 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 by that stage, it was a case of okay. So I've got all the information. What am I going to? How am I going to put this together? How am I going to get this out there? Um, mm. I'm, I'm fortunate that um, somehow I, I fell into the outside of university. I fell into the printing industry, so yeah. I had a lot of contacts who were. More than generous with their um, composition time, and 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 uh, were very generous on in rates of printing for me, mm. um, because it was always about getting the rules out there. This was never about making money, and in fact, the rules are cost neutral. You know, as long as they don't yeah. cost me money, 
I'm, I'm happy to get them out there. It's, it's been tough in recent years with postage costs going yeah. up so much, but we always try and subsidise the postage costs and try and keep mm. them at a, at a decent rate. And, and so the rules are colourful. Um, I don't know if you've seen them, Ken, but they're fully laminated. Mm. They're full colour. Yeah. Uh, you get, a, you get a, a random event deck in there as well. Um, a laminated quick reference sheet. Um, oh, so much value. It's all there. It's all there. <laughs> it's, it's all there. Did you get documentation then from Jerry and Mike and, and, and Mark? What, what, what did they provide? They sent me through. Jerry sent me every single piece of paper that he had that, that mm. um, went back to the Holiday Centre Sudan rules. So I mm. had all this coloured paper come up. It was a big yellow manila folder envelope, I think, if that's what they call it, and um, turned up with all the all the sheets, lots of original notes, lots of pieces yeah. of paper, quick reference sheets, um, uh, range charts, everything, and that that arrived. And with that, we started playing our first games at the club. So you know, a bit of cut and paste, etc. Play testing it really. How does this flow? How does this work? Etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. We did that for four years five years yeah just to make sure we got it right and then we started to fill in the other information that started to come through uh mm. i put a lot of that information that early information up on the blog in that 2013 you can probably see it and um and then we got the rest of we started filling the rest of the gaps and and as i've just said some of the gaps still keep on getting filled so they'd never been uh, they'd never been published at all in any form never been put they'd... never ever and that and that was that was my aim my aim was that this was too good a too good a concept not mm. to be played anymore. It was too good a period. Um, the whole idea of the umpire against everybody else in this particular theatre of war, with this array of troops, the diversity of troops, the incredible courage of the the Bija, the Haddendale, the Ants, incredible courage of these native troops that inspired Kipling and inspired all these writers. Yeah. You know, it's it's an amazing period of British history, but it's an amazing period of history in the Sudan as well. Um, such bravery on both sides. It really, it's such such a perfect wargaming period. So my whole aim was to um, probably give it a little bit of a resurgence, a little bit of mouth to mouth. And and you know what? I'm, I, I, think, I think the rules have played a small part in that. I know that... Yeah. Um, uh, Perry's have put out a beautiful sedan range. Oh, not, amazing. Uh, you know, amazing. Beautiful sedan range. They're beautiful figures. Um, you can get redout sedan figures. Of course, you can get the magnificent, magnificent um, connoisseur range, and, and mm. uh, which is really, in my mind, they're unsurpassed just for its character. They're beautiful figures. Um, there are so many beautiful... Essex made, had a great sedan range. So the figures were there. But um, it was a chance to get to get the sedan out there and and played again, and and you just get on, you get online. You, I, I get online, and I see see these games being played all over the world. You know, Jim's going to put one on historic on in fifty four mil using Sands of the Sudan. Um, Dave Doherty went to um, uh, Jerry Elliott's place there, the Situation Room, a few weeks yeah. ago, and they played a massive game of Sudan. Yeah. It was beautiful to see. I'm sure you saw the pictures. Um, yeah. Andy and Richard playing it at Legendary War Games. It's these mm. are big big games being put on. Sudan games being put on, and um, and every time that's done, it's it's a bit of a throwback to the nostalgia of the hobby, that romantic nostalgia of the hobby, uh, mm. and and I you know I'm a bit I'm a bit um, biased, but I think they look bloody good. <laughs> they they're, certainly they're do. They're good looking they games. They're do. good looking games. Yeah. 
The um, I noticed as well on 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 your blog that you you were getting little snippets of information in the comments section, and I'm I'm sure people emailed you stories as you said. How much of the how much help was the wargaming community when it came to dotting the i's and crossing the t's? You know, in terms of the factual part, the, the elements of the actual rules, uh, yes, helpful without without being massively so. Yeah. Uh, there were little snippets of what we had done and what they had done, et cetera, et cetera, in certain situations. But generally, generally, I dotted the eyes on that, and that that had come through. More importantly, what it did do is it showed the level of interest. Yeah, it showed that this was a worthwhile, um, a worthwhile undertaking. That people people wanted to see it. That people wanted mm. to play these games. You know what? People, a lot of people don't even play the games. They just like the idea of um, a, a set of rules like this, which is a bit of homage to that period, you know? Yeah. And if you have a look, it's quite deliberate. I mean, you look at the photos of the rules and um, it's quite deliberately my wargaming collection, on my, some of my homemade tiles, there are gaps yeah. and there are things. Sh- it's quite deliberately done that way. There's not a lot of Photoshopping and stuff like that. This is a wargaming book, a wargaming set yeah. of rules, sorry, for wargamers. Okay, mm. I've tried to do it the best possible way I can, and I think the production values are very, very high. Um, but it, you know what? If you just want to get it and look at the pictures, feel free. Mm. And um, and so the guys that were contacting us, there was a lot of a lot of scenarios, okay, a lot of oh, me- a lot of memories. And you yeah. know what? And not one of them had a had a bad memory. Not one of them said, you know, he put this game on, but I'd wish we'd played Wagram, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they all said, you know, it was such a great game. We had so much fun, you know, yeah. and we still talk about it today. And that was that was the part of what I wanted to do. Um, I really wanted it to be out there in the space again. You know, Peter Gilder's sedan, I wanted it to be out there. And um, if I was able to do something to assist, um, I was more than willing to try and do it. It was a, it was a great it was a great uh, it was a great project. I enjoyed it immensely. One of the one of the, the big bugbears that I have with a, with a lot of rule sets is that they have very small units like twelve men and uh, twenty you know sixteen figures and and one of the criticisms of twenty eight mil wargaming is is uh, it looks like a colour party taking a flag for a war and I, and, I, and, I, and I really you know that's not my style of gaming um, but the one thing that these rules do have are uh, in Yorkshire terms proper which means good big units um, looking across at some of the stuff. Uh, on your blog about suggested unit sizes, we're not messing about here, are we? We've got oh, no. big stuff. <laughs> oh, look, you know, the, most of the British forces are a minimum. The battalions, the regiments are 60 figures made up wow. of five companies of 12. You know, the Egyptians yeah. can be as much as 72 figures. You know, you've got some camel regiments that are 48 figures. So 48 camel, camel mounted uh, 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 troopers. And then you've got them dismounted as well, as well as their camels at the kneeling position. So, so the scope is the, the scope is vast. Um, it's you know, and suddenly out of the blue, four hundred or you know forty, you know, four bases of ten bases of uh, of enemy appear over a hill. There's a there's a there's a there's a, there's a hundred figures about to about to take them on, and that's just one on one flank. You know, you've got hundreds elsewhere. Um, they're big battalions. <laughs> they're big battalions, Ken. And they look fantastic. 
That's it. <laughs> don't they? The, the the extra work that goes to put to making a big unit is more than repaid when you put them on the table. You have the joy of playing the game and maybe playing a game quicker with smaller units. But when you take that extra little bit of time and you put this chunk of stuff on the table, um, my um, papal zouaves for my Italian Wars of Independence were very much like that. There's 48 figures in, in the unit. And you, you're doing you know number 32 and you think, oh, God, I can't do and then you get it finished, get it based, get it on the table. Looks amazing, and and that's one of the the big big draws I think for this period is is those big units. Oh, absolutely, and and, and I mean your your collection, those Gringo forties are. I mean they're, they're just state of the art sculpts, aren't they? They're yeah. superb figures from uh, from Jared, and uh, it's interesting mm-hmm. in this colonial period the sedan. We were talking about the animation of the, the of the elite figures, and you can get sixteen mm. or seventeen variants. It's funny, you know, if this period here, you know, you buy one officer, a, a trumpeter, and then you buy fifty eight, you know, uh, fusiliers at the ready or whatever. And they just yeah. it just looks right, <laughs> you know, it just looks right. These blokes are just ready on the other side of the on the other side of Zariba, wondering what's about mm. to happen. We, we've talked a little bit about it and uh, about the rules being old school, etc. But if you had to explain to somebody um, how how it works in terms of gameplay, what what would be uh, your, your quick pitch on how it works? So you can imagine something as simple as a column, uh, imperial columns being dispatched from Suwakin to relieve a garrison four days march inward uh, because of reports of activity from Osman Digna or someone like that, someone, one of the local Mardis leaders. And so off you go, you know, you're, 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 you're heading off and your job is to recover the garrison, rescue whoever you have to rescue and return them to Silicon. And you've got all manner of uh, nasties trying to stop you doing that. So, <laughs> You have um, you've got the ability to, to march out with um, battalion, the Camerons, the Yorks and Lanks, um, you know the Naval Brigade, uh, regiment of the, the regiment of Lancers, maybe even some Hussars, and yeah. and off you go. And you you know if in in a, in a good game you're commanding a regiment, four other blokes are commanding the other four elements in that particular Imperial column. You've all got your own idea of what what should happen. And hopefully you can work together long enough to survive the battle <laughs> because the umpire is going to be doing everything he possibly can to divide and conquer. And believe me, if he's, if he's worth his weight in gold, he will certainly do that. So anything, if, if you expect the unexpected, you'll enjoy the game. See, it's kind of, it's kind of a, uh, I think they call them collaborative games now uh, in board game terms, um, where the players are working towards a common objective rather than fighting each other. And the umpire, I think there's a lovely quote in your blog that I wrote down. Um, and you, you said, a good umpire should be hated by all the players before they reach the first oasis. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Because <laughs> why, why is he doing this to us? Why is he doing it to us, Ken? We're just trying to have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> why did we keep on getting ambushes? So, yeah, so we're, the we're basis. Be mates. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Last time I go to his place, help him on yeah. cut the lawn. Um, yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those things where the rules themselves are put out there and then, and, and then it, it enables, it allows, uh, the basics are there. I mean, you can play the rules as they are, but then you can take that next step and then add some more depth to it. And, and, and people like D- Dave Doherty have done that and Andy have done that with, um, adding commanders and different ratings and like you, you, you know, you would have a, a commander that's in charge of, um, Certain characteristics that you can give the the regimental colonels, you know, son of Mars, he gets a plus one when he fights hand to hand, or or yeah. another chap who was a like yourself, a mathematical whiz, and so he, com- he, he commands the he commands the guns, and so straight away he's uh, plus one in being able to to hit targets because he's uh, he's very good at plotting the trajectory of his uh, of his uh, hmm. uh, guns. It's there's there's a lot of elements that you can add to it, and that's the that's the great thing about any set of rules. Is that you can add as much depth and as much fluff to it, and I use that term fluff in a very, very respectful mm. way, um, to 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 make things even more interesting. And, and some, and you probably see in, in the blog that uh, I ran a campaign uh, yes, for quite yeah. some time. And uh, I mean, the campaign. If ever there was a, a set of rules and a, and a theatre of war that is just perfect for every. Every Flashman novel, every yeah. everything, you know, all that, all the, uh, you know, the private school, the private school English officers, and the, you know, the the hard, the hard bitten, um, uh, war weary sergeants, and and their general attitudes towards colonials. Um, it it makes it it makes it very interesting. It, there's a lot of scope. It's a lot of fun. It's it's a harmless fun game, meant to be played in a in a, in a very convivial spirit and. Uh, you know, and, and and at the end of the day, you know, you put your tape measures down, you pick up your your snifter of port, and and we all taste the yeah. queen. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. The uh, one of the one of the, the mechanisms used in the rules, which um, we particularly enjoy here, is the use of event cards, and and some some of those are quite uh, comical <laughs> to say the least. Um, just give us a flavour of, of of how the event cards and what and what. We're oh doing. well, the, the the event cards are interesting. So every turn, the umpire is. Um, and if he's a good umpire, he's he's making sure that he really drags it out as he draws an draws an event card. <laughs> um, every and the event cards can can be blank; they can have nothing on them, um, mm. or you can just make something up at the time. You can <laughs> they have a number of hostiles appearing, and that's when you determine yeah. where they're coming. So the great advantage of that the umpire has is that there are no secure flanks in the sedan. You can you can be moving along, and all of a sudden there's there's a thousand, uh, a thousand figures, uh, a thousand fuzzy wuzzies on you, on up your ass because you just—that's mm. where they can appear. They can appear 360 degrees at any particular time. But but other random event cards actually have an event. For example, um, sun the the sun's been beating on beating quite badly, and uh, one of the regiments randomly veers off uh, in a particular direction. So that could unform. Uh, any one of the other formations, or even worse, it could open up a square or a formation to attack. Um, yeah. Another one is where um, one of my favourites is that um, you um, <laughs> a whole lot of uh, 
a whole lot of traders that come up with purveyors of fruit and and uh, pornographic yeah. pictures. <laughs> they come up, and you've got a choice to make. You can either either um, delay the column and you know do some trade, or you can beat them off severely. And of course, the yeah. problem is if you do beat them off severely, there's a chance mm. that that might cause uh, uh, any friendlies in the in in, in any village or uh, township that you're going to to actually uh, start quickly sewing on coloured patches and, and quickly quickly yelling, uh, Allah be praised, and going after you. Normally they wouldn't have done that. So every random event card and everything that happens has a consequence on the game. So it's interesting. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, suddenly, uh, you know, as a random event, suddenly um, some some natives appear with a, with a, a Krupp gum on the flank. And you think, oh, yeah. where, the, where the bloody hell did that come from? <laughs> you know? And suddenly you've got artillery artillery on your flank just when you thought that you'd cleared that a while ago. So it's all about it's all about keeping keeping the players on their toes and, and uh, having a bit of fun. But they're great. The random event cards are fantastic. I, I, I purposely kept a few blanks in there so people could uh, could write their own random events in there and to suit their own collections yeah. and uh, and yeah. their own players that they play against and. Uh, um, it's it's a nice it's a nice touch. <laughs> yeah, I think it. Um, I mean, obviously, it's got its similarities to Pony Wars with with that sort of generation of the opposing forces and and how they act towards other stuff. Um, I was just thinking, uh, just off the top of my head, there, I thought it might be a decent system to have for say Vietnam or something like that to have a. American column trying to get to a firebase or something like that. I think the the idea of it and the mechanism uh, is open to other, you know, other uses, other interpretations. Oh, Ken, Ken, you're hundred percent correct. In fact, uh, it wouldn't be much of a push turning these mm. into um, an eighteen seventy nine uh, uh, Zulu Wars, okay, yeah. which would be very very interesting. I actually had correspondence from Adrian Goldsworthy. The um the author, yeah, very very famous author, and uh, we had some correspondence when the rules first came out because I always thought this would be absolutely perfect to represent uh, Verus and the Romans in the Tudorburg of old, mm. okay, and yeah. and their march yeah. through their march through before they the uh, Arminus and uh, and the Germans mm. uh, uh, slaughtered them and actually cut them to pieces, and you know I thought that this would be absolutely perfect. For, for that particular period. So there are a lot of variations on it. it, it it's it's transferable. The actual game system itself, itself is transferable to so many different different areas. And Vietnam absolutely would be perfect. That The unknown enemy that can appear, appear anywhere. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I still I still would like to... I've got a, a nice collection of, of um, to the strongest based. You've seen what they do, Simon's done with figures based on almost like an impetus space. And yeah. uh, I've always thought that that would be something I'd like to play through uh, through that. So Adrian sent me a whole lot of um, things that could happen in an ancient column as events, as random <laughs> events. Yeah. So I have them all there. So one day I should uh, I should bite the bullet and get them out there and put them on the blog. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, uh, that's, that sounds fantastic. They, uh, the rules have been out for a while now, and um, the kit... Looking through the blog, they kept selling out. So you must have done something all right. Uh, absolutely. In fact, I'm looking at a, a, at a box now, which is getting very, very low. Um, yeah. Yes, it's it's been fantastic. Um, it's been it's been really, really good. It's been 
it was always going to be worthwhile. It was always going to be worth my my time because I wanted to play the rules. But the fact yeah. that it's been um, received very, very well, people still buy it. I mean, I just sent a copy out to New Zealand this morning. Um, it's um, it's 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 great. Um, Dave Ryan at Caliber Books has been such a supporter. I mean, mm, Dave yeah. stocks the books and Caliber. I mean, you you got to go a long way to find a better bookshop for our hobby than um, than Dave. Dave's so supportive of the hobby. He's he's just a wonderful bloke, and um, so he's been really really supportive of of, of the rules. And um, and I can't thank Dave enough. Dave Doherty's Mr. 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 Sedan in in the shows mm. over there in yeah. in the UK. Um, once again, such a. I mean, I tell you what, Ken, uh, he'd be an interesting bloke to talk to, Dave Doherty. The stories he could tell yeah. from his old days. I mean, that would be a yeah. very, very interesting podcast because you know he goes back to the old, the old War Games Holiday Centre days with um, with, with Peter Gilder, etc. Plus what he's doing now, but. He's been once again that Sudan collection of his is second to none. It's just superb. Yeah, he's and, and and what he's done with reinventing various elements of of the rules and adjusting them to games mm-hmm. and and making them fantastic. I mean, the games you you see his games and <laughs> Gilda would have been proud, proud to put yeah, on a oh, game like that. Definitely, it's um I I know Dave through the Analog Hobbies Winter Paint Challenge. Oh yes. Yeah, so um, he's always about three or four years. He was just painting nothing but camels, and it was like, <laughs> how how many camels can one man own, Dave? It's, yeah. it's just getting to a ridiculous point. But yes, I'd I'd love to have Dave on the show. Um, yeah, it's amazing, and, uh, but it's amazing, Kim. It's amazing. I mean, and and we touched on it before the fact that these games are back at the Holiday Center. I think there's a yeah. there's a there's a there's a there's an absolute. Um, it's just a completion of the circle. The fact that Legendary War Games put it on as well, you know, Andy and yeah. Richard put it on as well, because because they've obviously got fond memories of the of the games themselves as well, and they understand that people are, are keen. You, you see, whenever these games are advertised, um, I think the positions they the spots get snapped yeah, up very just, quickly. Yeah, they and, and there's and they there's go. a reason for that because we all, similar to yourself and myself, mm-hmm. we grew up seeing those photos and thinking, wouldn't it be fantastic to play in that? Wouldn't we have some stories to tell? And 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 um, <laughs> and you know what? The stories keep on getting told. You know, while we keep on playing these games, we'll never get old, Ken. That's the key. <laughs> That's the, definitely, definitely. So, if um, somebody wants to get hold of a copy, then uh, Carlo, how would they? How would they do that? Well, being a, books, I guess, in the uh, UK. Being a massive su- supporter of Dave Caliver Books, he always has has um, books in stock. Um, and uh, I think he's getting ready for another reorder because, because yeah. I've, been buying, I've been buying all these books on Dave on the Never Never <laughs> on credit. So <laughs> I've got a feeling I've got a feeling there's a big order coming my way, and, and, and I deserve it too. So it's good. Yeah. And um, and from me directly as well um, uh, via the blog. Just let me know, Carlo Pagano at bigpond dot com, and yeah. um, and I'd be more than happy to look after you. Uh, but yeah, you, you know, if you're in Europe and uh, the UK. Dave's your man. He's um, a bigger supporter you could never ask for. Well, we're drawing to a close, mate. Um, it's been great having you on. Um, at the end, I always ask uh, my uh, guest if they have a question for me because I've been pounding them with questions for two hours. Um, so have you got anything before we go, mate? Uh, Ken, I absolutely have. And it's interesting because I, I, I very much admire what you're doing with the um, uh, the Garibaldi, the unification. Mm. 
range that comes out from Gringo 40 because you can imagine with a name like Pagano and certainly with a name like Carlo, my, 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 my origins yeah. are Italian. And so I grew up with stories of the the red shirts and Garibaldi and no. all that. My dad would tell tell these stories, fanciful stories, I'm sure. But but when you started researching, you thought this was an incredible man. Garibaldi was an incredible bloke. So there was always an attraction to uh, to that period. And so when Gringo Forties brought that range out, I thought, well, that's a that's a no brainer for me. But yeah. I've been distracted. What attracted you to that that particular period? I know you love um, the Italian wars and the Renaissance. Yeah, but, but what? Why this unification period? Um, it, it was a bit of a it was a bit of an accident, and it actually happened at this very moment on episode six of the podcast. Um, because um, I've, I, I love Italy, and we go on holiday to Italy all the time, and I just I find the place and the people and the culture just absolutely amazing. And um, when uh, Fraser VK was on the show. His question was, if there's one unit in history that you haven't painted that you would like to, uh, what is it? And it, you can't have the Polish wing to ours. <laughs> That's the one that everybody wants to do. So um, I, with the surname of Riley, I've always been fascinated with Irish history. Um, and I was aware of um, a unit called the St. Patrick's Battalion that fought for the Papal States. Um in the wars of unification um and they have an amazing i don't know if you've seen it an amazing green full green uniform with yellow piping and it's one of those uniforms that you just see and you go oh, I, like that. I like that so um the next day of course I've, I've spoken about it so i'm all enthusiastic about it found that gringo 40 made these figures ordered the unit and then the next thing i know I'm reading about Garibaldi and I'm reading about the Papal States during that time because it's kind of the end of the Papal States uh, as a country. I know it's a, a technically a country now, but it's it's city, whereas before the unification, you know, you still had lands in the Romagna and going out, Bologna, all those sorts of areas. Um, so th I started reading about Garibaldi and like you just said, what an amazing guy. How Incredible. I'm sure there must I'm sure there must have been four or five of him because how he didn't <laughs> how he didn't die repeatedly is just is just absolutely amazing and 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 the revolutionary fervor out in out in South America as well and all the yeah incredible yeah I I read I've I read quite quite a lot on him and I'm I'm going through a Jasper Ridley's book at the moment which is about seven or eight hundred pages. And that section when he's in South America, it's like, how, how did you survive? Incredible. He's, he's going off and he's and he's raiding this and he's doing that and then he jumps on a boat and then he uh, does a bit of pirating and then he comes back on land and and and, and leads a, a, a operation on on land and then he goes to Italy and it's like. How do you how do you still alive at that particular moment in time? So, what rules have you used so far for for those games? Um, I haven't uh, as yet. Um, it's what I tend to do is I tend to build a collection, usually to about five or six hundred figures, yeah. um, and then get it on the table. And I'm I'm just at that point now 
where I'm ready to go. Um, I need some French, and I was waiting for the Perrys to bring their Franco-Prussian War French plastic infantry out. Yeah. But I got an email from Michael yesterday saying, I'm really sorry, it's not going to be out in time for October, which is when I was planning to do the game. So uh, rules-wise, I'm a bit stuck at the moment, but I've I've now got a little bit of leeway because I'm not going to be doing this game at a show until February. So I'm going to try Pickett's Charge, the American Yes, Civil yes, War from rules. Dave Brown. From Dave Brown. They see very popular and a lot of people um, like that... Um, sort of aid de camp system where yep. you can it works brilliantly can, ken we yeah, we do a lot yeah. of general general to army is the napoleonic rules of yeah. our choice from mm. dave and once again dave supports his rules well he's very approachable and mm. um he's uh he's got it right this is a really good rule set and and picket's charge is mm. um is very very similar in terms of the command controls but i cut you off you, you i cut you off because you were yeah. about to give me another reason why you uh got into this period uh, oh, it's gone now. <laughs> oh, well, there we go. Because well, it, it's go. a bloody it's good gone. biscuit as well, then. It's a oh, bloody good biscuit. Yes, it's, it's, come back, it's come back to me. Old age settling in. Um, I've said this a couple of times. Uh, I'm in my mid-50s. I've got 30,000 figures. Um, I am getting to the point now, and, and I, have a, I have a set of rules, and one of for my own personal wargaming life, and one of those rules is one period, one scale. So... If I play a period, I'll only do it in one scale, and I'll go massive in that particular scale. So with those rules in place, I am now at the stage in my life where I'm running out of periods of history to war game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's a good bloody so, reason, I tell you. <laughs> uh, so having got the enthusiasm uh, and you know reading about the Garibaldi period, I thought, this is a great, a great, story to tell and a great thing to do on the on the tabletop so right. so that's where it came from that's where Excellent. it came from that's a good bloody that's a good answer well thanks very much Carlo it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show mate and uh, hopefully a few more people will get hold of you a copy of your rules uh, having listened to this because it, it it's a great method of gaming that narrative uh, everyone versus the umpire uh, method of gaming i really do like that so it just leaves uh, me to ask you to say good night to everyone Thank you very. First of all, Ken, thanks very much for having me on. And uh, uh, and like uh, like I said, we're all uh, we're all common souls, aren't we? We're all we've all got so much in common with this beautiful hobby. It's uh, all encompassing. It's something that catches you for life. And uh, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, hopefully, it hasn't been too scattered. Uh, no, it definitely hasn't, mate. Thanks very much, everyone. Good night. Well, that was a great chat with Carlo. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, really enthusiastic guy. Loves his hobby. Loves his sons of Sudan. And uh, I encourage you to uh, pick a set of those rules up uh, wherever you are in the world. I think they are, um, they've got potential for absolutely fantastic games. And as we discussed there, that narrative type of game that you remember for a long period of time after you've played it. Uh, I've particularly uh, impressed with my idea about using them or something similar for Vietnam. So uh, I might well uh, pick up a set and uh, have a look into that in a little bit more detail, uh, see how that works. Uh, going forward now, um, after the 
six week four week break uh, i've just had um uh, got a number of guests booked in in fact i am booked in now uh all the way up to christmas and potentially um just waiting to finalize a couple for january and february 2023 and uh, the number of people i've got on my guest list is not going down even with putting these in uh, i'm still at 41 people would you believe waiting on the guest list and uh some of you have been waiting for a long time, and I will get round to everyone. Uh, I suppose having uh, an excess of uh, potential guests is uh, much better than than having none at all. So uh, I hope you enjoy the people that we bring to you here. Uh, most of them have never been uh, on a podcast before and five of my next seven guests have not either so uh, you're going to be hearing fresh names fresh faces uh, hopefully interesting conversations about wargaming in uh, its different styles and types with the emphasis uh, unashamedly on big games and on 28 mil uh, though those of you will know i've just got a 10 mil project on the go at the moment so thanks again for listening uh thank you for your time thank you for carlo for his time coming on the podcast and uh, i look forward to uh, seeing you in a couple of weeks and i'm going to be speaking to uh, a chap called mark hydes and mark is a painter and author and uh, we're going to be chatting about uh, living as a war games painter not as exciting, I'm sure, as uh, being an international man of mystery, but not far off. So, until next time, see you.